Sony takes a walk on the fire. Big plans for the decimal engine. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as is always, is one Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing today, buddy? Chilling, dog. How you doing? Uh, chilling with, you know, when you're gone for like a four-day weekend and then you come back home and you're both equal parts like relieved to be in a familiar environment, but all the stress of your normal day-to-day responsibilities kind of starts hurling back at you yes i don't know if you feel the same because i mean you know it's just one of those different things where you know we were talking earlier about the difference of like our living situations it's like i had to have somebody like watch my dogs and my cats yeah to come back and it went from a weekend with none of the animal responsibility to suddenly coming back home to having to deal with five fucking animals and being even more upset that I allowed myself to gain two animals this this past year. <laughs> um, amongst other things, it's just been quite hectic. So I'm uh, I'm travel lagged. I can't say jet lagged because I just drove a bunch, um, you know. But that's just that's how life goes. So it's nice to be back home. It's nice to be in the in the milieu of things, but it's also a little stressful. So I hope. It's been a great weekend, but I hope your weekend was equally great without all the weird parts of leaving and returning to your responsibilities. From what I understand, you've left your responsibilities this week. I have left my responsibilities this week. And to be fair, I left them last week because I took Saturday off. So <clears throat> worked out well. <laughs> it's, it's been a good couple couple of weeks for me. Nice. Hell yeah. All right. Well, if you are new to the show, first and foremost... Welcome. We hope you enjoy uh, what we're going to be talking about today. We're going we're gonna to kind of actually talk a, a little bit about how we have a feeling of why the news may be feeling so quaint lately. But uh, we've got Shuhei's remarks on his hopes for the gaming industry and how he hopes it's not full of nothing but games as a service. Uh, Gorilla talking about, or at least hinting at, Decima Engine becoming a bigger deal for Sony and, of course, themselves. We got EA and Respawn doing more with Apex Legends, as is no one's surprise, and Sony buying up some people. But before we get into all of that, um, if you like what you're hearing and you're listening somewhere that lets you review after you've listened to a little bit and you have a feeling and a feel for us how about you go in a review us and if it lets you or rate us and then if it lets you review us also do that it's a huge help to us lets us know uh what you like about the show what you don't like about the show but we're going to start the show off in the time honor tradition and that is checking in with chris who is on sabbatical and figuring <laughs> out what he's been playing with all of this extra free time he has recently been given. So, Chris, have at thee. What you been up to? Um, I've been playing a good amount of stuff. I got through um, Signalis, finally. I got the Platinum in that. That is one of the best games I've ever played. It's sublime video game. Highly recommend it. It's an ode to like old-school survival horror Resident Evil 1, like all of that stuff. It is fantastic. The story is really good, engaging, weird. Um, but yeah, I, I really recommend it. I think my only problem with it is 
when I was going for the platinum, I don't know how you do it without a guide. Like I don't. Oh yeah, it's like one of those. It's, don't get yeah. wrong. There's some. There's a few games I've played where half of the reason I don't go for platinum is I look and I go, "How do you do this without yeah. something?" Like you know, it's you, you look and go, "The first person to have figured this out, or the, the <laughs> yeah. first few people who work together to figure this out." You know, it makes me think about when uh, you remember when Kojima was talking about. How surprised uh, he was that people figured out PT so quickly by just working together online. Yeah. He was like, I thought this would stump people for like another week. And at the end of the first day, people have got it done. So, (laughs) yeah, there's just some stuff where it's like you have to get this key at the beginning of the game for something you need at the end of the game. I'm like, how would you even know that? And I, I didn't do too much of it, but there's a little bit of I'm sure you could backtrack. But my God, I don't know. But it's funny because I think the best ending, I'm not sure. I only saw one ending, but um, it had like it told me what ending I got. So I'm curious, like if you didn't do everything that I did, would you get the same ending as or not? So see, the the downside to this setup is that it goes toward. We, we've already established that you and I have different tendencies and preferences when playing games. Yeah. We already have. And we've already made it clear that you don't mind having to deal with a guide while you're playing a game. And mm-hmm. it's been pretty clear that I hate the idea of having to have a guide lingering around the idea of my progression being natural within the game. And yeah. this sounds like a nightmare of a game to... I feel like if it's if it's requiring that, it just makes me not want to platinum it. Like I, I'm not saying I won't play it necessarily. It's just getting the platinum if that's the only way to go through. It's kind of like um, I really liked Batman uh, Arkham Origins Blackgate on Vita, mm-hmm. and I was kind of going through games I have in my download list after uh, Kevin Bacon Bits recently talked about getting the Vita and which ways you can see what you've done. I pulled up the download list to remember how terrible it was. Oh god, and it's it's bad. So, but I was looking through my, my games and I ran across where my license for Blackgate um, had renewed. And I was like, man, I actually like that game a lot. What does it take to platinum it? It's like five playthroughs. I'm like, no, I don't fucking care anymore. I don't, <laughs> I, it doesn't matter how much I like the game. I don't want to play 35 hours of Batman on Vita. Of, and it'd be different if it was 35 hours of fresh, continually new gameplay. But it's just 35 hours of the same loop five times. No, that, that sounds like a nightmare. I'm on my third playthrough of Resident Evil of seven, so I have yeah, nothing I'm, to say to that. I disagree, clearly. But it depends on oh, the game. Oh, clearly, yeah. I, would look at, I remember I looked at Blackgate and I was like, nah, <laughs> for the same reason. Well, um, and yeah, it's it's the idea of like, Resident Evil is clearly designed for that and it's a mm-hmm. big pillar of what people like. I think that was a kind of a bold decision for a Batman game and a spinoff that you've, that's a new style that you've never tried in the series before. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a really bold choice. And while I can't, it's cool that they tried actually making something challenging. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. That's not for me. The, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. And as much as I think that that is a very well done game, I think at most you could get two playthroughs out of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, that's totally fine. <clears throat> I mean, to be fair, you could technically do Resident Evil on two playthroughs. You just shouldn't. <laughs> no, three. That's, You'd have to do three. 
but well that's kind of like dead space remake where you can stack as much as you want it's not necessarily ideal yeah <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah but uh i think in terms of what you're saying signalis is short enough that you could beat it and then follow a guide and get the platinum within the next hour or so <laughs> oh really like the when and, I was looking for uh, stuff, the guy I was watching, I was looking at was an hour and a half long. <laughs> yeah, I might do that then because I mean I did I've started the game and I'm not I can't say that I'm far into it, but I'm also not right at the very beginning, you know. Yeah, so, I may return to it, but all right. So Signalis, uh, yep. one of your apparently beloved, already <clears throat> an instant classic from the moment it released. What else have you been playing? Clearly, Resident Evil. Yep, I've been playing Resident Evil. I just finished today. Um, so since the next episode, I don't remember, or since last episode, I don't remember if I said that I had done my 100% playthrough. Uh, but that's done. So I 100%ed it. Okay. I did today. I knocked out the shooting range challenges. So those are all done. I don't have to do any more of those. So now it's just got to beat it on professional, got to S plus hardcore, and got to S plus standard. Once I do that, mm. I'm done. Game's over. But I actually might have to do a fourth playthrough because I didn't do the don't talk to the merchant, don't use healing items, only only pistols and knives. And I don't I don't see myself doing that in one of my S plus runs. So I think that's a fourth playthrough, my guy. Good luck, my guy. <laughs> it's not that bad though, because I got through so today I was running through professional. I'm literally just sprinting through the game. And I got sure. through the first four chapters in 25 minutes. <laughs> like, Yeah, if you know what you're doing. And that's what I was talking about doing the S pluses. Like, is it is it so... That's what I was talking about last week. Is it so weighted primarily toward time? <clears throat> um, it's time and saves, I believe. Uh, what I will say is an interesting So if you're just comment. constantly running and never saving, then you're kind of naturally hitting both of those. Yeah, I believe A rank for professionals is 15 saves. So just kind of translate that over, I guess, and you'll figure out where you need to be. Um, mm. I will say we had that conversation about the microtransactions uh, last week or the week before. And yeah. I still don't think they're that bad. But what I will say is that to make... So you get certain guns. People who've played Resident Evil know this. If you unlock them through the menu, the hand cannon, um, I think the infinite rocket launcher might be one of those. And then the Chicago Sweeper, which is an unlimited Tommy gun. You can. The, oh, did they change those. the name? Yes, they changed the name. Um, oh, man. Chicago Typewriter was way cooler. Yeah. That's a way cooler name. It is. You don't get access to the upgrade tokens you need, or the upgrade tickets that you need to get to get the unlimited stuff on them until chapter seven. But, but. If you buy them from the store, you can get unlimited ammo on both those guns in Chapter 2. So... (laughs) Well, well, well. I mean, listen, you don't have to buy them, but it's certainly going to make those runs easier. You know what I'm saying? So, again, I don't think it's particularly predatory, but, you know, some people might not like that, and I I could understand yeah, I got you. All right. Uh, other Is there anything than that, else on your list? 
other than that, we've I've been running uh 3v3. We've actually been playing a lot of co-op MLB the show, which is a crazy thing to say, but it's actually really fun. Uh, me and so two who is of my me? me and two uh, of my line cooks. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been a lot of fun, but there's been a couple times where I'm like, I have absolutely nothing to say in this course of this conversation. So let's stop talking about other employees, please. <laughs> That's fun. But yeah, it's yeah. been really cool. Um, so you, it goes like one, two, three in terms of you guys hitting, and then one inning, someone pitches, the other person plays infield, and the other person plays outfield. So it's cool. It's been a lot of fun. Now is it like um, so? You're all you're all one team. Yeah, you're all playing one team. So you play against that's, another three v three. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I've been really enjoying that. I still can't break from MLB, even though I'm basically done with it. My collections are done. All of my stuff's done. I don't have much else to do. But I'm enjoying it. I still play that. And then I've started a little bit of Valhalla. I don't have anything to say about Valhalla. I'm right at the beginning. But Kyle, <laughs> it's game time. If you're listening. Oh. The gauntlet. Gauntlet's dropped. Okay. Thinking, thinking we do, that we means you've, you've got to give him the time and place. Uh, right now. You. Middle of the show. Hop on. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it would be cool. I think we t- we talked about it on the show maybe a charity stream. I definitely want to do a co-op of uh, me and you and Kyle and Joe, <laughs> this two guys who are great at the game and two guys who do not play it. Um, so yeah, and then conversely, we should do me and him versus you two. <laughs> well, no, conversely, it should be then we follow it up with doing races on Gran Turismo Seven. Oh with- God. <laughs> I would get but brutalized. I don't, I don't know one. if either of them are necessarily the GT7 heads to make that work out in reality. But I would like to see your performance on GT7. I played a lot of GT7. Sheer curiosity. Yeah, I mean, I know. I mean, Blake was doing it. He's doing real hot there for a while. I don't know where he's at on it now. He probably <laughs> has the platinum he... and just forgot to say something knowing him. Yeah, he's probably like, ah, oh, guys, I don't know. I probably won't have this for the next six months and then the next day. 304 in the morning. <laughs> like, oh, I've got the White Knight 2 Chronicles <laughs> Platinum. I just decided to go for it. <laughs> what are you yeah, playing? Yeah, guys, it's just really, it snuck up out of nowhere. Uh, I played one game exclusively. Uh, one game. Sly Cooper 2 on Vita. Oof. Yeah, I've been really busy. And then, of course, being out of town for uh, four days with uh, <laughs> your wife uh, for you to celebrate your anniversary. I played kind of when she would conk out early in the middle of the night. <laughs> so I, I've played only, I haven't really played much in the way of games this past week uh, mm-hmm. since recording last so uh, I mean I'm, so, I'm nearing the end of Sly 2 though gotcha I, I'm gonna I downloaded those games so I'll play them um, curious fantastic right dude go ahead go ahead no I, it's, it's different than that but it's a uh, as someone who has a successful marriage what is oh, the decorum sure. of knowing that my girlfriend is going to fall asleep significantly earlier than me? We're going on vacation. I'm debating bringing <laughs> my PS5 because I'll be up multiple hours after her. I don't know. I got some platinums to get. That's all I'm saying. I, don't I know. think that that's where I think that's where the Vita has always come into handy with me because I've never brought my console with us anywhere. Yeah. I think that there's a very big difference in perception of you going out of town for a getaway for the two of you and lugging around a 
big machine that you have to plug into the TV <laughs> versus a little thing that's just tucked <clears throat> away that you can inconspicuously whip out and play without anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, that's where I think the Vita has always excelled. And a lot of Vita gaming for me has been done that way. Um, one of the best games on Vita. I mean, it's, it's other places as well. Um, but East Origin... Mm. is fantastic and when my, me and my wife were in san francisco five years ago six years ago um i bought that when she was asleep and i played it while she was asleep <laughs> <laughs> and you know i have uh i have night owl tendencies where like i just get like a second wind at like midnight and it's mm-hmm. a curse i will have forever i guess and it's just like I get super like okay I got I got stuff I got to do like I was my mom could attest but it's like whenever I was growing up it's like you're I, I remodel my room at like two in the morning like I, I'm like not remodel like you re, re reorganize it you're like yeah. okay my bed's over here now my TV's over here and it's like I'll start cleaning at like eleven forty five and then I'll be like shit what else needs cleaned so. That's that's who I am. That's how I kind of go towards. So I was able to beat East Origin <laughs> between <laughs> starting it in San Francisco for the week we were there, and I beat it on the plane ride while she was asleep next to me <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> I was just playing it. So, yeah, I think the decorum is you have a Vita, a nice pretty red one that you've got now. The, you know, mm-hmm. You've got the yin to my yang, as it were. I've got the nice blue sparkle. you got the red sparkle. So Red sparkle. Vita one thousand. We can make the Vita the Vita Rangers, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, just bring that and knock out platinums that you have or games that are interesting you on Vita. All like right. maybe this week, chill on your Vita and play your console, mm-hmm. and then whenever you go away, you'll be you'll have plenty on to do on the Vita. Conversely, I have two remarks about what I've been playing. The first and foremost in, is that. I am so much more excited for Ghost of Tsushima 2 having recently played since Ghost of Tsushima, Infamous 2, and then again Sly Cooper 2 because Sucker Punch, they just fucking know how to do a sequel. Something about their games, the second game in their sequ- in their, their series, always smack. They're so good. Sly 2 fixes literally every problem that Sly 1 might have had. And Sly 1's already a fantastic game. And then you just make it that much better. Sly 2, and and it's funny because they're better in similar ways. The writing gets way more mature, and it gets way more in the sticks of like what's right and what's wrong and what's the cost of certain things that people are doing and how actions interact with each other or how actions affect other people. Um and just playing two, even though I'm not at the end yet, I know what's on the way and what's coming. And even how it's set up in between there, like, yes, it's got some age for being a PS2 game. But if you strip away the little bit of stuff that's just a, pro- a product of age, you have a timeless, fantastic game. It's so good. It, it, it's And conversely, the same problem they had with Second Son goes into three. Slot three probably plays better than any of them. <laughs> but it just kind of feels like they already perfected it with two. or They've perfected the overall formula. So all they did was make it play better, but they have an overall weaker game that kind of misses on what made the second game so good. Just like Second Son has got arguably the best gameplay in the entire series for Infamous, but mm-hmm. arguably the worst story, the worst character, ever, the worst anything else. 
<laughs> arguably is arguably not the right word for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to be nice, but yes, I agree. Um, and it's hard because people think I hate Second Son. I still love Second Son. It just happens to be the worst entry in a series I have very high standards for. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah, definitely like, the worst. I still entry. got the platinum, and I still <clears throat> enjoyed every second of it. But it came with a lot of caveats when you play two, and you're like, "How do you trans? Like, how do you go backwards?" Mm-hmm. And I guess it's the nature of. It's kind of why I'm glad that um, Sucker Punch seemed to be learning to just move on because they could have kept trying to make more Infamous games. And there's a part of me that wants someone else to take a swing at Infamous. But I don't think it needs to be Sucker Punch because I think that they really, they give so much of themselves in creating the IP and creating that first entry and then they just perfect it with the second one. And then anything past that just feels like you're trying to find ways to reinvent a wheel that you've already reinvented. Like you invented it, you reinvented it, and there's just not enough left. There's not enough tread for you to really find a way to reinvent it again in a way that it's going to land as well as something before it. So yeah, Ghost, Ghost 2 has got like Super high expectations from me. Uh, <laughs> so, I, if you're listening to this for some reason, random sucker punch employee, good luck. Um, second thing to note, I have got to stop playing my Vita because my right hand for the analog, you know, the camera movement mm-hmm. analog is, dude, it hurts right now. It, yeah. My hand has been cramping like crazy because I've not been playing any console. And so between the Vita and then your phone, it's like my finger, my thumb in particular is just getting worn out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's your right hand hurts because of the Vita. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. I'm left-handed. So if it was going to be a hand that hurt from that, it would be uh-huh. the old lefty. That's a, that's a good cover. Yeah. Nobody can prove I mean, that. I mean, Chris, if you want to <laughs> <laughs> use my right hand, <laughs> no, ask my wife. I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, for real, dude, my my thumb in particular, that little kind of area between like your main fingers and your thumb is just like those muscles are just cramped up like crazy. Um, so I'm going to beat Sly 2 and then I'm going to take a break from the Vita. I like that. If I don't take a break from the Vita, the only reason I still play it is for the Wolf Among Us, which doesn't really require much in the way of analog movement. Yeah, just play it on... PS4. Well, I've already played it on. Uh, I just want to replay it for a oh, I, I, just for, for a some reason. Game. I assumed you'd played it on a uh, PS3. Oh, <laughs> PS3. No, I played it so much later. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get it on PS3 too. Kind of triple Look platinum. This that guy. bad boy. <laughs> triple platinum. <laughs> it's I a great wanna, game, though. I absolutely would. I love. I love the Walking uh, Wolf Among Us. Also, the Walking, <laughs> the walking Dead, Among but Among I miss. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, cool, man. Yeah, I I don't have like a big thing. So a return to Signalis or I'm really thinking about Iron Tails. It looks really fun. I've been wanting to play it. It was free, so I have it downloaded. I think that might be my next game. It looks Iron like Tales. a game I'd be willing to plat. So it's like a, you know, the trophy competition definitely is coming into play in any decision I'm making. I mean, it'd be kind of foolish not to, but I'm not solely going for something I don't want to play, if that makes sense. Like, I want to want to platinum it. Yeah, and absolutely. My, my fairly impeccable 49% completion rate, I think, goes to show that I tend not to play games just to try and squeeze something in I don't actually want to play. Mm, that's fair. 
I guess it says that? more. Mm, do you think I'm throwing shade? I wasn't trying to. If you take, if you took that as a jab, that's no, on you, no, man. No, no, no. I'm just saying I have like a 27, so I think that would <laughs> prove out for me Ooh. too. Ooh, yeah, it's that's pretty rough. I have a lot of Kevin Bacon bits has got a 49 as well. I'm very proud of him. Good lord! All right, let me see. Minus 27.85. Ooh, you can do better than that. I believe I think you I've, can do better than that. Chris. I think I've played more games on my account than you guys. That's why. Oh, yeah, you have. That's why Mine's you have a bad. shit completion rate. Yeah, let's see. It's 723 <laughs> games played. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Mine's uh, mine's mine's almost at 49s. So I'm 48.2. Look so at you. I, that's good. I respect that. Yeah. I want to get mine up. Well, I'm definitely haven't been hurting it lately because pretty much anything I've been playing lately, I've been platinuming. <laughs> it's mm, just kind of how it works. For it. Completion rate such a weird thing because completion rate via trophies is just about platinums. Mm-hmm. Realistically, no. or no, it's not. Uh, is it? Isn't it? Or is no. it looking at that to see if you got the compl- the you beat the story trophy and uh, no, it's games. looking to see if you have a hundred percent. So it it goes down. Oh, like, so it's not even about platinum. So even no. the games I have platinums in that aren't one hundred percent are counting against me. Yes, correct. Man, like you know Horizon what's crazy about now that? Counts against you. What? Yeah, yeah. The the really crazy part of that is that even with it being that close, it still means that I platinum almost every game I like. I platinum every other game I play pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and if you just wild, use a goddamn guide occasionally, you've gotten a lot more, eh? <laughs> Listen, Chris, you're trying to make me into something I'm not. <laughs> Look, we'll get through this. Don't worry about it. But that's all I've been playing. So, uh, words of advice: uh, buy a Vita, mod it, pretend I didn't say that second thing, but still do it. Um, see I've increased benefits. Stonks go up, <clears throat> and um, yeah, play Sly Cooper too. Yeah, play, play Sly Cooper one. Play Signalis, sure. I can't really speak to it, but what I did play was cool. With that in mind, though, Chris, we come to our first question. So remember, if you want to write in for questions to be read out on the show, potentially, uh, we always give preferred readouts to our patrons for those who seek them out. But if we have a great question or just want to shake it up and hear from some different people, we like to get some other ones. So Yuna comes in by writing into us on our Discord, which you can join by clicking the link in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services. Uh, And they ask, hey, guys. Who are your favorite smart characters in games where they are very calculating from their thinking or make good choices in your mind? Chris, do you have somebody who comes to mind? No, you got to give me a minute. I got to really think that one through. There's a lot of angles for this. Whenever I first read it, I have my immediate answer, and there's a little bit of recency bias, but I've also always loved this character, and that is Bentley from the Sly Cooper series, the turtle. He's the right mix of slightly annoying but slightly endearing, or slightly annoying but endearing enough to counteract that, and I like the way they write him in such a way that he is clearly smarter than everyone, but he's not necessarily above anyone. It's really a, a good play. And I think that he's a good example of that. And there's actually a story arc in Sly 2 that I think really capitalizes on that in particular. I don't want to spoil it because I've been talking about Sly 2. So um, 
go play Sly. I, I know that I'm asking you to do something that's not easy to do, by the way, because Sly Cooper is not available natively on PS4 or PS5. That sucks. But you can stream it, or if you have a Vita or a PS3, you can find a way to play the uh, HD remasters, which are mostly very good. The only thing that there is is that there's like a desync issue for some of the um, rhythm gaming sections they have within it. That is a little annoying that you can get past, but it's just weird. Um, so, yeah, Bentley is mine. But I was thinking of the other thing. And, you know, you think about smart characters and definitely the way that they frame the question where they're calculating from their thinking. And while I don't want to spoil the game, the origami killer in mm. Heavy Rain, I think, is a really great example of that uh, in Jason. a negative light. <laughs> Jason! <laughs> Jason! Jason! Jason, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, I could. I like. I like the pick of the uh, who's he? What's it? Killer, origami killer. The Sorry, origami killer. I lost it for a sec. Dude, <laughs> heavy rain is so good. It I is. really kind of want to go towards platinum and heavy <clears throat> rain because I haven't played it since that one time, and I remember that game. Uh, very well. To be fair, I played it twice almost <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from my little story, but. Um, yeah, dude, so good. So Man, good. This is a hard one. I feel I like think... I feel like you should have jumped into like a Mass Effect character. I feel like there has to be somebody who immediately should come to mind. Yeah, I mean, Thane's a good pick. Thane's a really good pick for it. In my my head wants to say Nathan Drake, but I feel like he's like a bumbling idiot who gets lucky rather than being smart. Yeah, I wouldn't call him. See, I think the thing about it's not i mean he he works out but there's something about the idea of <laughs> it's lifts. easier to look at <laughs> it's easier to look at the uh the man in the chair style setup as uh as the, the person smart. who's smart which is like what bentley is he's like Sly's guy in the chair yeah though conversely one of the things that makes Sly two so great is that you can play as bentley and murray mm-hmm. and it really shakes up the gameplay a whole lot which wow. is a good idea but yeah i, I think I almost feel like you could probably go through like main characters that are smart. Um, you could go towards, you know, supporting cast that's smart. You could go towards villains that are smart. I feel like I would go for, I think, you know what? I'm going Drake because he's shown throughout that whole thing to be very smart. He knows his history. He just gets lucky. I think he gets lucky a lot, which makes him seem like he's less smart than he is. You good over there, Doc? I'm hearing some kind of wild. I assume it's the shower up in the front. Go ahead. Don't worry. I'm just <laughs> hearing water when I normally don't. All right. Uh, yeah, I think him getting lucky kind of makes him look like he's not as smart, like he lucked into uh, being successful. But I think just on the fact that like he knows his history, he knows yeah. the quote-unquote true history, I'll give it to Nathan Drake. No, I do think he's a good he's a good kid. He's a smart guy. He understands what he needs to understand in order to succeed. He just also is a little bit charismatically bumbling. I also like figured out the he is. But there's a right answer to this question I just thought of. And it's Peter Parker, who is a literal genius. So <laughs> the answer of smartest yeah, video know, game character is Peter Parker. <laughs> You, you might be right, but I think that this I, – I like to take the spirit of this question is that you see this in action. And if I have 
one potential complaint about almost all Spider-Man games is that they don't overly focus on showing Peter to be super clever because I think it gets in the way of making sure the gameplay stays consistently fun. Um, I feel like it's easier to show characters being clever when you're not having to give people control of that character. I can see that. That's fair. It's the nature of what it is. So it's like you can hint at Peter being smart by having him say things, but are you really seeing him in action doing the things he's normally referencing something like Gwen's doing something behind the scenes. And he's like, Oh yeah, Gwen's going to blah, blah, blah. But it wouldn't be fun for you to sit there and think through in a Spider-Man game. Cause you'd be like, why am I making decisions when I could be swinging, you know, webs. And actually I'll tell you right now, I would love to have a decision making Spider-Man game. I still think most people would <laughs> because you, the problem yeah. with that too is that introducing decision-making for a character that's supposed to be altruistic, you can get away with it in a game like um, Infamous or what's the one from Free Radical um, that came out the same year as Infamous. I just can't prototype. prototype? Like you, you can do that because it's like anti-hero or already hero. It's people who are vague you don't know from previous stories if cole is good or bad so you can have him make decisions but if you make a spider-man game and make it to where peter parker can just be blatantly evil you can be like something's not fucking right here yeah and that's because and that's because you're actually playing ads i'm kidding (laughs) you know where i'm going there are two places you could have gone neither one you should say publicly so (laughs) that's true yes if anything, they had the the chance with Miles, but people would probably try and freak out. Uh, Miles is a different, unestablished character. You could have done whatever you wanted to with him. You could have made him be somebody who gets the powers, and you have to go through whether or not it's good or bad. Yeah, there are definitely arcs they could have done. Glad they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Just in terms of my own mental health of seeing Twitter, <laughs> glad they didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. Peter Parker is okay. the right answer. The inspired answer is Nathan is Drake. Nathan Drake. Actually, I'm the not, inspired answer is Monkey from Enslaved Odyssey to the West. Oh, or, dude. Yeah, that's it. What a game. Okay. Yeah, that was a pull. What a I don't game. know where I came up with that shit. That was a pull right out of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have Nariko <laughs> from yes. Heavenly Sword. Let's just keep going, man. Did you? Dig, sword? dig deep into the history. Sword, yes. Oh, okay. Heavenly Sword. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I think I like that game less now. <laughs> <laughs> because of sword. how I chose to pronounce it. Yeah, exactly. How dare you? Andy Circus worked so hard. <laughs> he says he pronounced W. <laughs> you said the W in Sword? <laughs> I swore I'd never do that again. It's supposed to be silent. It's I swore I'd never do that again. <laughs> uh, man, what if W's? Wouldn't that be the craziest thing if there were letters that existed purely in silence? So, like, there is no sound. Like, if all W's were silent, but it was just a, a letter that had to be there for it to work out. <laughs> like a slash. There's a concept. In the there's a concept like that for in math where it's like 
it's not an actual number, but it's like something that you put in that makes the equation mm-hmm. make sense and work. Like how so zeros that would be doesn't funny. exist. If you do that, if, if you did that in the alphabet, you'd be like, all right, W's don't actually exist, but we need them in order to tell you when to pronounce the O a different way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like the little squiggle over the N. Yeah. It's like a much more complicated version of that. Moving along, though, we've got the community's take. Remember, the community's take is where we, at the during the previous episode, will kind of come up with something either repurposing a piece of news or something we talked about throughout that day or a question that we got from one of our listeners and asking it to you guys in the community to either learn fun things about you, uh, get your thoughts on some of the big things happening, or just get some pushback, maybe, things that we didn't think about. This week's was a fun one, courtesy of uh, one of our patrons, braj 88 and he says, you are teleported into a game of your choice for a month. If you die in the game, you die in real life, but whatever you collect in the game, you can keep in real life. Skills, magic, items, pets, clothes. What game do you pick? If you want to know Chris and I's answer, you're going to have to do a little bit of digging from last week and go figure it out. But if you want to know what B-Raj's answer was, since he's the one who asked the question, he says, easy. Gran Turismo 7. Give me the cars and money. So I can use it all to buy more PS3 games. It's a man after that. my own heart. I respect that. God, I should play a PS3 game this week. All right. I was debating. That was really my other question. Is is now the time for Prince of Persia 2000? No, god damn it. Now's the time for Wanted. <laughs> for nothing else, I want to put it back on my shelf at some point. So play the fucking Yeah, Chris. Game. For, but for the game to be true to its namesakes, where you want to put it back on your shelf, it has to be with me, because then it's truly wanted. <laughs> no, nah, I need that. I need that. I need that. No, I'm just joking. I don't need it for shit. But I do. I guess. I, I guess I should it. play that. I know. I know. That and Wolverine. Get your Wolverine Platinum. Especially because Wolverine's like an actually expensive game. Get it done. <laughs> Send it back. Yeah. Please. Look, if anything, look, if it, here's the thing. I, I got you a newly designed case for that. You're you just going to have to chill and know that, yeah. if anything, I added value. Yeah. Well, it's super valuable with no disc in it. <laughs> also true. <laughs> also true. Uh, all right, Chris. Was, so, look, in this world where he's set up. Yeah. If if you if you got to come out right, you come out of these games and you have all this money. That's what he's talking about. Get the monies in the car. What would be the PS3 game if you could only buy one after you left out of this? What would be the PS3 game that you'd go after? Like, what's your top list? What you wish you could pull out of your ass and afford to have sitting in, in terms your of like what I want or the hardest to get because sure. it's the most money. Well, it I'll give you both you answers. Want? It's Lollipop yeah. Chainsaw, the US version. Hell yes. That game I've never even played the game. And it's so expensive. But I remember seeing it whenever it came out and it looked cool. I should have bought it. You should have. The other answer is the ill fated release of NBA Live 2008. <laughs> because that game, I don't know if people know the story, right? EA canceled that game after it was, went gold, after review copies were sent out. So there are very few copies of NBA Live out there. And the copies that are out there sell for $25,000. <laughs> you said this is NBA Live 08? I think it's 08, but it's NBA Live. Interesting. 
you know, the crazy thing about NBA is that that was back in the time where multiple people actually had the NBA license. Shit. And so you had the, uh, before MLB, the show really got big. You had Sony San Diego, uh, doing the NBA games. NBA elite. I apologize is the game that I meant. Hmm. Yeah. NBA, what was it, 2006? NBA HD? <laughs> yeah. NBA Full HD 1080p. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. What a time. Yeah, games, dude, <clears throat> games that get canceled once they're finished and on a disc blow my mind. And there's the not just like a bunch of them. But the craziest exist. part is they sent it out for review. That's what it makes you wonder, like, what happened? Were the reviews so bad? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that they were like, okay, guys, <clears throat> we can't. How is that better than selling at least some of the copies, even if it doesn't do well? Maybe you'd have to deal with uh, refunds. They would have been the Man, original CD know. Project Red. <laughs> maybe. Just maybe. <laughs> if anything, wasn't the original CD Project Red, at least in terms of more recent memory? Uh, wasn't that Anthem? Because <laughs> Anthem had people getting refunds from PlayStation Store at a time where it was like there was no precedent for that. So it was like, True. oh, shit, people are able to get refunds from the PS Store. <laughs> if anything, Anthem set the stage for CD Projekt Red to be like, yeah, just tell PlayStation you want your money back. Yeah, it's a real bad move on their part. It is a wild one. All right, Blake Blake, or otherwise known as the ghost of Blake Pope's dwelling out there at a spirit box concert. But I hope you had a good time by the time you listen to this. Uh, he says Stardew Valley, which I figured would be an answer from one of us. Uh, simply don't go to the mines, gather tons of money from crops. Profit. Basically what he's saying. It's an easy game. I understand where you'd come from here. Uh, we got Rude Days 93, one of our patrons. He says, I'll give two since the first one is a kind of an easy one. Forza Horizon 5 for the first one. I got a, I get a great car and a vacation in Mexico for a month. Sign me up. I guess if as long as you're in the games version of Mexico, that's probably what you want. <laughs> if you're not in the games version of Mexico and you're there for a month in a bitching car, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I'll tell you this much. This all comes from secondhand information uh, from a lot of people who I work with on the plant that I work at who still go and visit and have a home in Mexico that they go back to occasionally. Uh, depending on where you're at in Mexico, Mexico sounds wild. <laughs> That's I'll leave it at that. Stay in, stay in is, your resort. It's anecdotal from people that I believe wholeheartedly. The funnier thing would be is if they just go around telling everybody around here that so that no one else goes to Mexico. That would be the greatest story of all time. Like, you want to keep a place like secret. So you're like, just tell everybody that it's fucking crazy here. People get killed left and right. There's cartels just fucking. <laughs> and then when we go visit home, we don't got to worry about all these tourists. It's, I mean, that. <laughs> doesn't sound terrible at all. It checks out, if we're being honest, right? It does. Checks out. I mean, conversely, that's how you handle all border problems, right? Ah, dude, you don't want to come to America. America sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, Japan, you don't want to come to Japan, bro. Let me tell you right now, Japan sucks. 
and just keep doing that everywhere. And then all borders just close up and no one leaves anywhere. Tourism dies. Suddenly cultures start to become very messed up as each country just becomes one mono culture that just starts to <laughs> morph together as people are not leaving and introducing new things. This sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it sounds like an interesting social experiment, though. Like, I'd like to see the actually, studies about that. Yeah, that actually does sound pretty good. If you took a group of people from each country and you put them in rooms that were being denoted as for that country and you're like, your actual countries, this is what's happened. And because of it, you're stuck here forever. And now you're, you're, you're the representative of your country only here and see if the same thing happens within a microcosm. Like, it had to be a pretty good sample size, though. Yeah. Mm. I mean, then the ethics come in of you're lying to them to get their honest reactions. So that's the problem. Ethics and studies, they tend not to go hand in hand very well. Just, because the most interesting things that you'd want to study require a little bit of unethicalness. You know, it's like... We'll go back in time to the 50s when that didn't matter. And we'll just have the CIA do both of the both of the things they were doing at that point. Oh man, yeah, yeah. But this is not a conspiracy podcast or any of those things. Uh, this no. isn't a podcast where we talk about all the fucked up things that the FBI have admitted to doing. No, go listen to <laughs> Josh Hoops podcast if you want that. I think that's who it was. Yeah, it's Josh Hoops. I mean, they, they they discontinued the podcast, but there's all those episodes floating around for you to have fun with. Um, anyway, he says, sign me up. Second one is Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. So if I die, I'm coming back because Dragon Ball's going to suck if I get eaten by Boo or sucked up by Cell. But hey, I'm coming back alive. When I come back to the real world, I'm basically God. Also, I'm grabbing a set of Dragon Balls and a shit ton of capsules. Capsules? Yes. Super cool. Dragon Balls, interesting, because once they come out of that world, what happens? Is it a one-time use and then they just are destroyed because they've broken the laws of our world? Or do we now in our world have Dragon Balls because they fly up in the air and disperse around the planet? His answer may be the best, because if we end up with Dragon Balls on this planet, shit's about to get wild. No, I mean, the reality, right? Hear me out. The reality is that he's got seven really sick bowling balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. If the Dragon Balls come out here, but then again, hold on. The question states, right? The, the question states, skills, magic, items, pets, clothes. So if we're to believe that magic comes back over, the Dragon Balls would still have their magic. This is, this is factual. I think we would have a set of Dragon Balls and then a big fucking Sky Dragon. This sounds sick. But think also about also terrifying. Think about I'm the pretty havoc. sure if I looked up in the sky and saw fucking Shinron, I'd be like, bro, what the fuck is happening? While <laughs> Rude Days is just in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> but think about how badly you would ruin the world of Dragon Ball, right? Oh, they'd be missing from Dragon Ball. Exactly. Then Dragon Ball actually gets interesting again because people can actually die. And the Dragon Balls can't fix everything. Yeah, that's a valid mm. point. What's the next one, Brett? Bretford? 
Brentford. Okay, the next one is from Velvet Thunder, one of our patrons. He says, Monster Hunter World. I'd just chill in Astera, eating that incredible-looking food from the ma- food from the muscular chef. Then I'd bring back my own palico because it's like a it's like having a pet who's also a butler. And he chooses to put another word that I'm just not going to say. Say it. <laughs> no, because it's not. Because it's just having a pet that's also like will do stuff for you. Isn't that? Oh, that's cool yeah. enough in and of its own. I mean, I, I can understand why. Okay, never mind. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the only person that can say that without any stink on it uh, in, in modern days is uh, Mr. Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last one here is from Gideon on Gaming over on Twitter. He says, I mean, dead or alive extreme, right? I'd be coming back after the month looking like George Hamilton. Um, and in case you don't know what Dead or Alive Extreme is, it's the extreme sports where it's like Dead or Alive <laughs> volleyball with girls in skimpy bikinis and big boot physics and asses bouncing around. Um, and I love how he's basically saying he would be outside the entire time. I assume he's talking about, and I think I got the confirmation I needed, the incredible, the, the older uh, American actor, George Hamilton, is incredibly tan. <laughs> so it checks out. Yeah. And, uh, I can only say this. I mean, yeah, obviously, this is the best answer. <laughs> yeah. Clearly. This is, of course, the correct answer. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Thanks, guys. Took a little bit of digging, but we finally no. got there. BMXXX. <laughs> Dave Mira BMXXX. Yeah. What a fucking... The fact that anyone ever... See, you know we were talking about old gaming. That's the mentality I miss about old gaming. The fact that a group of not only developers, but people in the publishing company were like, fuck yeah, we should make a BMX game with topless women and porn, basically... Because why not? <laughs> Classic video games. Right up there with Bioshock. That's, yeah. That would be a... Could you imagine if that game came out in 08? <laughs> 08 would be an indescribable year for games. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even the more Yiddies so than on the PS3. Let's go. That game would have been much better on PS3. Playing that now is like, oh this God. is the boobs we're talking about. I mean, I've seen girls get uncomfortably railed in The Last of Us 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair i like that game but it's so hard not to comment on that because i remember being like oh <laughs> i'm like this feels graphic this feels more graphic than any game i've ever seen <laughs> looked like she was literally getting it it's news time brett let's move on to the news Okay, first thing up in the news, Shuhei Yoshida, one of the main characters in Super Time Force Ultra, not a lie, spoke (laughs) to The Guardian recently and commented on the future of the games industry while sprinkling in a little praise for Indie Darling, that game company. Uh, He says... When Journey received all its Game of the Year awards, not just the best indie game, but the best game against all these AAA titles, it started something. It had such impact on the people who played. You could finish it in four hours, but it's about life and death. And people who have gone through family or close friends passing away could reflect on things they experienced as they played. I'm so fortunate to have been involved with it. He had more to say specifically about live service titles, and it's a sense of it that I think a lot of people can agree with. Definitely, it 
more of the online fan sphere of gaming. Uh, he says, you don't want to see the top 10 games every year being almost the same, all games becoming service games. That would be a bit boring for me. Uh, so I think it's pretty safe to say with Sony having 10 plus games as a service titles in the hopper, as we've known and heard, you know, heard for over, over and over and over, could this be a slight hint that that's not all Sony's cooking? I think obviously so. I think Sony's been pretty upfront that while they are hopping in and throwing a plenty of eggs into the games as a service basket, that they don't really intend to stop what has put them on the map the way that they got put on the map last gen. Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, they can't. It feels like, yeah, it feels like it would be a throwing away of all the hard work that you spent seven years culminating. God, I can't wait for the God of War first-person shooter. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I also do not want to see only live service games. So I do hope he's right. and uh, Or not right, but I do agree that would be boring, and I hope it does not happen. Well... I think it comes back to this thing we talked about a while back where certain genres seem to mesh with games as a service in a much better way. And I think part of the issue we're running into is that it's a lot simpler to envision and see a successful version of a game as a service for some kind of first-person game, whether it's first-person shooter or first-person pirating or first-person surviving as a kid who basically got Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's like across the board, you kind of get to the point where it feels like games as a service is overwhelmingly run by first-person types of games. And most other types of genres are either not represented at all or very scarcely represented. So there's a part of me that goes like, you know, even if the top 10 games were all games as a service, like, yeah, that would suck because why? (laughs) You'd want to see a little more variety. But arguably, I feel like games as a service isn't really pushing. I don't know. This seems like it's a bit of a problem where us as consumers are going to most be most likely to try out a games as a service and give it some time if it's first person or at the very least a third person shooter. That's like the only other one that seems to ever get any traction. And then everything else kind of just doesn't stick. Cause even when it comes to car games, right? Like the car con and I'm not saying that destruction, you know, destruction, all stars, whatever was like a great game, but it wasn't terrible. But it didn't really get a fair shake at being a games as a service. And that might be rightfully so. But is that because we as consumers don't want that or because not enough developers have pushed in that direction to make one of those work well enough? I don't know. I think Destruction All-Stars being a paid-for product is what set it on a course to not get the credit it may or may not have deserved. Because I think when you look at something and you're like, Oh, this game looks neat. I would give that a shot. And then you're like, wow, $70. This game does not look that neat. And I'm not going to give it that much of a shot. But, you know, download anything for free. You know, with it being a a PS Plus game, though, it kind of gives you the same thing of like, isn't that exactly what happens with Game Pass? Isn't that Game Pass is kind of bread and butter? Yeah, but if you look at games like that, like, I don't know. I guess there's no true example of a game like that. But 
you know, Apex, I don't know who's paying $60 for Apex, at least for the base game, but a lot of people play Apex because it was free. So I, that's sure. what I'm saying is I think it, it being a game of, let's call it questionable quality and being $70 and then even being lowered down to $20, it still, mm-hmm. I think, is a large barrier to entry for someone looking for something to play. And maybe had it been free, you could have gotten someone to go, hey, screw it. Like, I know, yeah, sure, it's on PS Plus, but you still got to pay for PS Plus. I'm sure there are tons of people who don't, who wouldn't, who don't use it that play on PS5. <clears throat> well, sure. I guess where I was kind of going towards that is like games like Grounded and um, uh, Sea of Thieves are both paid for games that are only free for the majority of people because of services like Game Pass. And yet they don't seem to have met the same fate that, you know, Destruction Derby did or Destruction All Stars. So. Part of me wonders how much it is the genre because both of those games are playing it safer, doing some kind of first person mode uh, that seems to be a little more easy for it. And they're less traditional game loops, I guess, or they're, they're more traditional game loops. Whereas I don't know that car, I, I don't know, man. It's hard to say because I mean, like, clearly Forza Horizon 5 and Gran Turismo 7 are both excelling as even with all the issues that being game as a service introduces to them, like Gran Turismo being down for like five days or whatever mm-hmm. it was a while back. Um, that's a huge issue that never existed in the series prior, all because you wanted to make the game always online for a game that 90% of its content doesn't require internet at all. Um, so it leads to a bunch of questions, but both of those games seem to be doing fine. So, I mean, it's probably specifically Destruction All-Stars. It really just something where I note that a lot of games as a service don't seem to have a lot of genre um, variants, which is unfortunate. And I don't know if it's just uh, showing the penchant of the larger market or if it's just that all of the games that fall within that thing also tend to be made better. So people tend to, tend to want to stick with them better. I don't know. My real curiosity is, and you've talked about it a little bit with like MLB, right? So you have a sports game, and then if Gran Turismo 7 was one of those games as a service games, which I don't know if they'll ever confirm or deny any of that. Point being, half of their games aren't first person at that point, I suppose, or even a third person shooter. So, yeah, it's, it's more of a question of what is it? Yeah. What are they doing that's going to differentiate them? Um, and some of that seems to be story and heavy story driven games as a service. And I'm very curious to see how well that works and how well they can actually carve that niche and define it and make it obvious and market it while still getting the more casual multiplayer crowd that really helps those games succeed. It's, uh, it kind of makes me think of destiny Two, Cause like, right. I don't think you really cared about the story of destiny Two at all. Right. Not even a little bit. Yeah. So you just, <laughs> so for a lot of people destiny 2 is just purely gameplay like they'll they'll suffer through the story because the gameplay is fun and they don't really particularly care but we were talking in the discord the other day about this idea of like if sony's claim to fame in the multiplayer sphere and the games of the service sphere is going to be story heavy games the games still have to have pretty much spectacular gameplay because the majority of people who are big on multiplayer games and in a large number don't really care about the story. Yeah. 
So I mean, Apex has this huge sprawling story. Could not care less. Don't care. Well, but Apex also tells it in an odd way, right? Like kind of like uh, yeah. I feel like Overwatch did their things where it's like you have character introductions and you see how certain <laughs> characters have interacted with each other, but you don't necessarily get like cut scenes or traditional storytelling. It's like well, you there do. is story if you want to find it. No, in yeah, Apex, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a literal like comic book that comes with every season that tells the story. So it's a sure. literally a story in terms of you got to read the shit. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's cool. I just and, don't care. And I, I imagine a lot of people just skip it. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be my curiosity is if Sony's going to do their type of story thing, then what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you can't force people to watch story they don't care about, or you're going to get people to drop out. If your whole goal is to get them to stay, it's got to all be optional. I don't know. I just think when it comes to multiplayer games, you can't skate by on like single player games can skate by on a good enough story that you don't mind slightly lackluster gameplay. Multiplayer is the exact opposite. It's like gameplay has to be top notch and the story can be, you know, kind of lackluster as long as the gameplay really excels. Yeah. I'll be interested to see. I'd like a good yeah. FPS from them. I'll take a moment to remind everyone that if you want to be part of the community's take, like we went through earlier, you can <laughs> always find us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD if you're still hanging around there. If you've decided to abandon Twitter and want to find some other way to communicate with us, you can always download Discord. Click this, the link in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on podcast services, uh, just like we've recently seen some people do where Twitter wasn't clicking for them, so they came back around to the Discord. We welcome you. We've had some other people join recently. We like having other people in there. It's a more fun day-to-day kind of, you know, catch you in the moment. It feels less, it feels more casual than any of the other social medias somehow. I don't really, it's, Discord's probably the one I can bring myself to use the most. But if you want to find us on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com and find the group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast and we'll gladly let you in over there. Uh, so yeah, we just look forward to hearing from any of you, definitely ones who maybe not interact as much or are new to the show. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, second piece of news, Guerrilla Games have been in the news a lot this week. Leading the news is that Angie Smets, the co-studio director, has been promoted to head of development strategy at PlayStation Studios. Now, this is, of course, following Herman Holst, who was originally the studio uh, co-founder and director, uh, moving over and taking over Shuhei Yoshida's original job as head of Worldwide Studios. So Sony must have some very high thoughts about how this studio is run. Uh, Her departure will set the studio for a second shakeup in the last three years, one of those being... no, I can't say this name. So M- Mikio Van Der Lu, we're going to say that's close enough, who is leaving his studio leadership role to focus on development of the Decima engine, which he indicated on LinkedIn. Sony has ambitious plans for. Uh, while announcing Angie's promotion, SIE may have let slip the obvious. There is more horizon in our future. In the oh. announcement, there is... The passage that basically confirms the title, quote, we have full confidence in our new leadership as they steer Gorilla towards a bright future, expanding the world of Horizon with Aloy's next adventure and our exciting online project, Uh, end quote. The last piece of news surrounding the studio is less exciting. 
After the recent release of Horizon's Burning Shores DLC, the game was review-bombed as the DLC has only been out for a few days. We will not spoil it here, but a quick search on Twitter will show you why, as people there seem to be less concerned with the sanctity of other people's experiences. Metacritic is going to be introducing stricter moderation to prevent this going forward, as this is far from the first time this has happened from a number of games. Uh, This is something that has been sorely missing from the site, and while nothing is known uh, about the potential changes it's good to see steps being taken to make the site more worthwhile uh so review bombs of course are happening on the user score side not necessarily the the actual critical side so it's not that the entire experience is weighed down the critical side is mostly left untouched um but it's definitely something that's a weird cycle we've been seeing with games Get mad about something, go blow up the Metacritic user review score. Yeah. Uh, I don't love it. I don't love it. It's not great. Um, It's hard because I think user reviews are realistically like the most, the more valuable section, but you just can't trust it. Like I can't trust Metacritics. I'd rather go to Steam and see how the Steam reviews are. Yeah, and you know, Steam has got this thing where they seem to have the opposite side. For the most part, Steam is either completely serious reviews, even whenever they don't like You, of course, have the occasional joke for Steam where someone's like, absolutely hate this game. They need to do this, and they need to do this, and this is awful. I can't believe anybody still plays this game. And then you'll see hours played, 1,200. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm glad that you hated Star Wars Jedi Survivor. So much that you played 1,200 hours of it, but you want to tell me all about how you would have fixed Cal and every all these other characters and how this is a thumbs down, don't play. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. <laughs> Beat the game, 40 hours. But for the most part, Steam <clears throat> is either completely serious reviews in a casual way or people being over the top trying to be funny, but not in a trolling way. Just like yeah. making quick, fun reviews. So... It is weird that that's kind of where we are. Uh, I agree that in a perfect world where we didn't have to deal with this aspect of user reviews being open to everyone, that user reviews should be the ideal purpose of Metacritic because critics and we've we've talked about this plenty recently, but critics and consumers tend not to actually have the same level of opinion. Um, Critics seem to hold things to a much higher standard and most users would be willing to think much higher of a game that critics didn't necessarily think as highly of. Uh, so that balance being thrown off just because some people are mad about what it boils down to a decision that you can choose to make in a DLC. I'll give you that much. It's not even something that all players have to experience. If you don't want it to happen, as far as I can tell, it doesn't. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So... This sucks, but you know what? Let's look at a different piece of the news that's actually more interesting here, and that is the potential uh, for looking at what is Sony's ambitious plans for Decima. We've seen, of course, uh, Until Dawn used it as another studio kind of leveraging that tech before it was even called Decima. Of course, Horizon uses it. Uh, We've seen... Death Stranding, Death Stranding use it. Death Stranding 2 is clearly using it as well and continuing to co-develop on it. Fuck yeah. But I have mixed feelings on this because Decima is clearly a great engine that is pretty adaptable for Sony's specific type of games most of the time. Uh, 
But what are their ambitious plans? Because when you hear ambitious plans for a in-house engine, you tend to think of how bad EA fucked up making everybody use Frostbite <laughs> and how much hell that brought on a lot of games that have been known for problems like Mass Effect, like um, Dragon Age, like Anthem, like some of the racing games that had to find a way to work around this and sports games. <laughs> so there was a big, wide variety of games that weren't shooters that they tried shoehorning the shooter-focused engine onto to, of course, save money because you didn't have to worry about paying someone else uh, for their engine use. Do you feel like there's a version of that what's happening here where Sony's looking to see if they can get most of their third-person action-adventure games up and running on Decima just to try and more quickly have games getting up and working and have a you know for people that don't know they have the initiative for a common engine which is their ice team which they go around and make sure that basically developers are using their tech to really benefit to like from the playstation 5's hardware so if you had most of your studios that are making similar types of games working on decima Ice would be a much better foundation of knowledge because it would all be based around one engine. But that yeah. also leads to a bunch of different things. So, Chris, what are your thoughts there? I mean, did you kind of have you ever felt the growing pains of uh, frostbite being forced onto everything? And yeah, would I you mean, be eager to see that coming back around on some on another developer or another no, you know, set of studios. I mean, in all seriousness, it just kind of depends on what he's planning on doing. Right? Is him going in there to expand it, like, okay, I'm here to build out tools for an FPS, and then I'm here to build out tools for a driving game. Then I'm here to build out tools for a platformer so that the engine can be more adaptable and maybe can replace, I don't know, UE5 internally for Sony. Although, realistically, probably not because they own some of Epic, but... that was my that was my first question here. Is the only real benefit I could see from this is having Sony try and have it to where Decima is in competition against UE5, to where they're trying not to necessarily do it internally, but they're trying to get third-party studios to license out Decima for them so they can act similar to what Unreal Engine and Epic does, where anybody that licenses their games, they make a certain amount of that money back. But with Sony owning a part of epic and or you know having stakes in epic doesn't that feel like working against yourself yeah no yes and no right because in a lot of ways no because you're still getting what is it two three percent of everybody else licensing it out but you're not paying epic for it um not that we i don't know if they are now with what they with their ownership stake but you get where i'm coming from so sure I think it still makes sense to have to have UE5 as something you've invested in, even if it's just kind of what I was saying about buy Square Enix and don't ever talk to them again. You know, just take the money. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Have a stake in Epic. You know, maybe get some first look deals on a new Epic game. You know, that kind of stuff. Maybe get that 3% of the UE5 licensing fees there's there's tons of reasons to do it um but i think it's clear that they think very highly of decima and decima clearly if you look at horizon and you look at 
some of the stuff other people are struggling on. You know, Horizon is one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen, and it runs at a crisp 60 FPS. And then you look at Gotham Knights and Redfall and what's the other one? Um, oh, why is it slipping my mind? Plague oh, the Tale. games that are... Plague Tale Requiem, yeah, the, right? That are Those 30. games can't even hit 30, uh, 60. And you've got Horizon over here shitting all over them. So... I don't know. Maybe it's just they look at their engine. They're like, this is the best suited thing we have going to look great and be high frame rate. So let's just expand it. Maybe it replaces the ice engine. Who knows? Well, see, that's the thing. Like, even though ice exists as a team, every studio still uses their own tools. Like, right. Ice still helps with Ghost, even though Ghost is on a completely different engine than Naughty Dog's tools, which mm-hmm. they have their engine, which is completely different than what Polyphony uses for Gran Turismo, which is completely different from Decima, which is completely different from studios like Bend using very custom versions of UE4. So I don't... Like I, I know that ICE exists and that the name would lead you to believe that Sony wants a single engine or all engines to have a common through line to where you can kind of get more out of them on every platform. But that's not the real reality. I think what ICE is really doing is that there's a through line of how each engine can be improved to specifically benefit from PlayStation's hardware so that they can pull that extra power that playstation's known for like look at that game and what it's able to pull off like i've never seen a game look like that on this system even though it's an engine i'm familiar with or even if it's not you know ghost probably looked this much better because ice is like yeah but if you build the engine to do this you'd really benefit from this feature of ps5 or ps4 um it's it's weird but the, I guess the thing I see about this is like, you know, there's still teams that opt to build their own engines these days because what they want to do for the game is just so special that there's not necessarily an engine that already has that baked in in a way that is going to work. So they just go, screw it, we're going to make our our engine from the ground up. Because like Sony Santa Monica uses a completely engine, different engine from everyone else as well. Yeah. Um, and part of me does wonder like, what would God of War Ragnarok have looked like on Decima? Like it's it's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah, it might have looked fucking sick. And, we'll never and know, I mean, but... in Ragnarok <clears throat> looked great on their tools. That's not the the point. It's just I think my curiosity there is that since the engine has some uh, impact on what the game feels and looks like to a degree, I worry that going towards a common engine actually, like if that is the goal would lead you to having things like some of the most beautiful aspects of Ghost not really being able to be to that degree because they're having to try and funnel this through an engine that they didn't create with that in mind, you know? So it's a, it's a mixed bag. I've, if nothing else, I think the real thing for Decima has clearly been find a way to get it to where certain developers just want to use it because certain aspects of it are just made in a specific way. But it's kind of interesting even hearing that that might be, which we didn't get an idea of what that ambition is. But if that is one of the ambitions, it's interesting to have something really go up against Unreal Engine 5 at that particular category, just because that first UE5 showcase, it seems like it's the answer to every problem devs would be having. How do we get more polygons out of stuff? How do we get more detail of stuff without having to have more overhead? And UE5 kind of answers that. Yeah. But we've yet to really see a UE5 project hit in any meaningful way Um, besides Fortnite. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be... I don't know. I think it's just we're watching the landscape. I My honest thoughts is at this point, we're kind of watching what's going to... We're kind of watching the start of what we're going to see in the PS6. Like, a lot of this stuff doesn't feel like we're seeing it today. You know what I mean? Even UE5, mm-hmm. by the time it's ubiquitous, it's, it's PlayStation 6 time. Yeah, I can feel. I get so. what you mean. And then you're going to have the same thing that we always have, where a lot of the games coming out two or three years after UE6 eventually hits the market are going to still just be using heavily modified UE5 because exactly. that's the the nature of what it is. You know, Unreal Engine 4 had been out for a long time, and Rocksteady's like, we're just going to make Batman Arkham Knight on a heavily modified Unreal 3 because we already have the tools we want to have, and we're getting, we've customized it the way we want to customize it. So, yeah, it's interesting. We'll see what they end up doing with that. Um, you know, for Gorilla to have had years of putting out Killzone, a series I love, but that never necessarily saw any kind of real critical or commercial acclaim in any... Well, Killzone 2 is actually one of the highest rated games on PS3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to speak out of so that's like a That's like a 91 on Metacritic. That's, that's nothing to scoff at. Um, but it is interesting that they seem to have really, at least in modern Sony, they seem to have really scratched the itch for what Sony looks for and how studios are run for them to keep pulling that leadership up. And I, you would assume that means that they've really found a good way to bring people to fill those spots within Gorilla. So good on them. I wish them luck. Me too, man. Me too. Uh, but we have a question kind of uh, in regards to all that. Uh, Rude Days 93, one of our patrons, he says, what would you, what would be your preferred way of playing DLC? Would you want to play it like Horizon Burning Shores and have it after you complete the base game or the more traditional way of being able to jump into it at any point in the base game? Do you have a preference, Chris? You've played more DLCs than I have, I think. Um. I think they both work well. I I think this... I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like you having to beat the game gives this DLC more weight. Where Agreed. the fact that you can just put in Frozen frozen whatever, Frozen Wilds, I think was mm-hmm. Horizons. The fact that you can play that whenever makes it feel like a side story. And it was a side story. Yeah. But you get that feeling where this feels like I, like if I was looking forward to Horizon Three, and I was about to buy Forbidden West on the way to get to Horizon Three, you're like, okay, I also have to play the DLC. Clearly, it's important, but I don't think you had to play the Frozen Wilds. Aloy got cold. You know, as someone who didn't play Frozen Wilds, I can tell you that two that For- Forbidden West made perfect sense without any of that context. <clears throat> right. So, so clearly yeah, it didn't matter. I'll take it after the game, I think, in term, for wanting the weight. Depends on the game. I don't think a lot of the Fallout 3 DLC needed to be, be there after this, uh, the story. It's cool that some of it was, but I can go to the pit whenever, and that's cool. But again, different strokes, different kind of game. I think I lean on you because of the same reason. It's kind of like whenever games are like, we're going to make a prequel now where you get to see what Kratos was doing before this. But it's like, yeah, but the stakes feel so low because I know that Kratos is alive in the next game. So what can you really do that would introduce any real tension 
it's like it, it, there's a disconnect because you know the end goal of where something's going to end up. And it's always more exciting when something is entirely new because when God of War does a new game chronologically, you're like, Kratos could die in this one. Who the hell knows? And so that's fun. Yeah. And it's kind of the same here. It's like there's not enough weight to being like, at any point in time, you can just run off and do this side mission. It feels like, well, there's no way it's going to have enough impact to matter for the next story. Otherwise, it would have to come sequentially in a certain order. I think of it too where... I would imagine that the writing of DLC tends to be much better when it's able to be something that is... <sighs> There's clearly a good answer here, first of all. One of the best DLCs I've ever played is one of the few I've played, so take that with what it is. Uh, Oblivion's The Shivering Isles is so good, but it's because it's so disconnected from everything that it feels like it's 100% own story. It doesn't really try to connect back to anything going on within Oblivion. Yeah, you can go do it at any point. You don't have to have beaten Oblivion. But it's not even tangential, realistically. Whereas I feel like a game like Frozen Wilds, it's still trying to play into this story while not being able to be important enough to where the fact that it came later, the base story still has to make sense without it, which means that at the end of the day, no matter what, it can't be that important. When you're writing for a story like Burning Shores, where you can write knowing this one thing has absolutely happened and shapes the potential for this to happen, you get much more interesting DLC. Um, But I have a little bit of a hot take here. I think all DLC moving forward should not only happen after the story for whatever game they're playing. I think that they should be standalone DLC that you buy. You don't have to have the original game and you just play it and it has its own platinum and its own everything. And they are. I think that's kind of wild, but I see the logic at the very least. As someone who's not traditionally played a lot of DLC, I think it's easier for me to say that. But I also think you get a higher chance of people actually buying your DLC because there's not a chance they've gotten rid of the game. Like nowadays when things are more digital focused in purchases, I can see DLC making sense. But I remember when they were like Mass Effect 3 DLC that you have to have the disc to play. I'm like, why the fuck? If I don't keep the disc, I just got to go buy Mass Effect 3 again to play it. It's like you're, you're shrinking your own potential player base. Whereas regardless of whether I had Infamous 2 or not, I could play Festival of Blood. I could play First Light regardless of whether I had, you know, um, Second Son. And they're still just as connected to those other games as they were ever going to be. But you also get that feeling of, cool, it's a completely separate game. I don't have to boot up another game and load up a save file. It's a new save file. I just think that there's personally more draw for something that feels like a new adventure, even if it's just a, you know, an in-between adventure. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that. I just think there is a lot of cachet in just being like, hey, <clears throat> throw in your disc of Horizon. Oh, look, there's a DLC that pops up right on the side of Horizon. You know, but I would like more standalone DLCs. I just think standalone DLCs suffer from the same problem I'm talking about of is this how connected can this really be? You know, just as a perception. Well, I think it just depends on how it how it's handled as a standalone DLC. Because I think clearly 
uh, one of the most clever things about Festival of Blood for Infamous is that it's it's it is canon and it's not canon because it's just Zeke bullshitting a story to try and pick yeah. up girls at the bar, which is great because you get to play this whole game and experience this whole thing, and then you get to have at the end of it this feeling of like, well, it's not canon and it's not not canon. It's just an experience I got to have. Yeah, it's worth. Then you have things like then you have the things like Fletch, right? And even though I talked about not liking, um prequels as much i actually think first light did a really good job because they criminally underutilized fletch in the actual second son game and since you don't know much about her or where she came from or what even really happens to her since nothing of any real value happens much to her in the game you get to have this other completely standalone thing that feels like its own adventure that felt more weighty than having to pop in my, I, I don't know. It, it's a, I think it's just a perception thing, kind of the idea of marketing and putting 99 instead of like, you know, 24, 99 instead of 25. It's yeah. just the way you're choosing to put the bow on it is more appealing to me as an individual. I agree. That I do agree. I, with. I, mean, I would be much more likely to jump into burning shores right now. And no, wrong, it looks pretty good. I'd be much more likely to jump into it right now. If I had a separate platinum. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, yeah. And I, yeah. and I mean, thankfully, I bought the game digitally. But if if I hadn't started game sharing with you, I would have already gotten rid of Forbidden West by now. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't even have it. So I wouldn't even have had the opportunity. <clears throat> so I get what you're saying. I, I pick it up what you're putting down. Yeah, we'll see. That may actually be a pretty good uh, community stake because it's it's interesting seeing other people's things here. My general question is, how many people actually play DLC? That's still a genuine curiosity of me. Like, if you look at the player base for Forbidden West, by the time that Burning Shores has really had time on the market to be mostly saturated through as much as it's going to go, what percentage of people who played Forbidden West are going to have played Burning Shores? I mean, you'd think a decent amount. 30% is not bad or good. But whenever you built it from assets and tech that you already had for the game, it's probably great from a profit standpoint, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Just see, it seems bad from a player retention standpoint. Like you, you can only convince 30% of your players to play this new thing. But I, that's also just a make believe number. I mean, I don't know if that's what it's going to end up being. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm sure. I just have a severe doubt that most DLC hits anywhere even close to 70% of the player base. Oh, I would agree with that. But the reality is, though, the problem, one of the big problems with this DLC, there's going to be a five-minute recap that tells you everything you needed to know anyway. (laughs) My big problem with the DLC, because, of course, Twitter, and I haven't even seen much of it, is that the the fight at the end is a fight that should have been in Forbidden West. They tease it and set it up in Zero Dawn just to do fucking nothing with it in the follow-up game, and then you put it in a DLC are you out of your fucking mind? I, when I saw that, I was pissed. I was like, "This is so stupid. This should have been for this should have been Horizon 3's boss, if nothing else." Why are you putting this in a side content? This feels like if this feels like you spent the first two God of War games setting up Zeus, and then in God of War three, Zeus is not really in there at all, and then they just they do a God of War three DLC where you then fight Zeus. That would piss me off, and that's exactly what Horizon did. Yeah, it's almost like if you got the ending in a DLC. 
fucking Prince of Persia. Asura's Wrath. <laughs> so many fucking games for PS3 gen. I don't know why that was so popular. Hey, let's just not finish the game, but then make <laughs> people pay to see what happens next. Whoa. That was the part that fucked me up. It's like, if it was free DLC, I'd be understanding. It wouldn't be happy, but understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, can't understand. But no, like, I gotta, I gotta pay you twenty dollars, ten dollars to figure out what happens in the last thirty minutes of your game. Fuck you. <laughs> I can't fight that one. That's facts. That's rough. You know <clears throat> what? You can fight though. It's other legends in EA and Respawn's Apex Legends. They have announced Apex Season 17, and it will be releasing on May 9th. The season packs changes to the World's Edge, or to World's Edge, a majorly expanded firing range, and a new hero named Ballistic. Uh, of course, I'm not big on Apex, so Chris, if you have anything you want to expound on there, the floor no, is yours. it's more of a rapid-fire piece of news. However, they really did need an updated firing range. I should be able to practice my aim in there and you can't really it's not really what it's for so i'm excited oh, man for you're that. getting you're getting messed up pavlov has that how can't you you know ea is an indie studio it's having a lot a lot of budget issues they're gonna have to wait i don't know <laughs> you know the real value of pavlov that necessitates this a little bit more is that if it wasn't for the shooting range in pavlov picking up or because you spawn with random guns Sometimes you have to figure out how the fuck to reload this gun if you're not an actual gun nut. Because it's a real gun, but like you have to know after you pull the clip out and put it back in, if it's even a clip, what do you do next? Do you have to open this bolt slide? Do you have to like pull a slide? There's so many things where the shooting range's biggest benefit is just being able to learn how to actually reload the gun correctly. Because I was <laughs> in the shooting range. There's a there's one where it's got a big ammo box and the chain, you know, the ammo that's like bullets in a in a you know, I don't know what you really call it, but in a row. Um, and I didn't realize that you had to actually open the gun to lay the bullets over and then close the gun onto it, which is incredibly cool. But figuring that shit out in the middle of trying to fight someone Mm -hmm. way worse. So I'm glad I was able to figure that out in the, uh, in the shooting range. But you know, the next piece of news we have here is probably the biggest piece of news uh, for the week. Uh, depending on who you ask, Sony is firewalking down the aisle with another mostly unknown developer. This time, Firewalk Studios, who was already working with Sony on an unannounced multiplayer IP. Firewalk Studios features a bevy of FPS talent with people from Respawn and Bungie on the team, including the game's creative director, Ryan Ellis, who worked at Bungie. The purchase separates the studio from probably Monsters, which worked with them to get the studio established. One of the more interesting wrinkles in this is the studio's location, which is in Washington, alongside another team under Sony, Bungie, alongside a competitor of Sony, Microsoft. Um... (laughs) Now this is uh this is interesting uh mainly because we keep talking about this idea of getting a first person shooter to rival Call of Duty as Sony keeps talking about and uh while the guy from Halo uh, did not go to Sony no <laughs> Chris, sadly the fucking uh, Netflix wild genuinely more interesting than anything we said actually because Watch watch Netflix in two years put out the Call of Duty killer. Like, no <laughs> shit. Full stop. 
they become the next biggest shooting game, like, you know, the biggest game out there, that would be insane. I'm not saying anything, but maybe Oxenfree 2 being also not on Xbox, as many games seem to be skipping these days. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe Sony got a little, uh, it's got their in there. It's like, listen, you can work for Netflix, but you're making our game here. You're making our game. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it also happens to be on Netflix. Yeah. I'm not not saying that this is going to happen, right? But you would also think that given how Netflix is struggling already, uh, a studio established by Netflix with Joseph Staten probably goes on the market at some point. <laughs> so That or it's just unceremoniously closed like what Google did. <laughs> yeah, also true. Dude, Google, Google's so ruthless and... Honestly, I got to give Microsoft a little credit because they are very Google-like and starting things and then shutting them down very quickly. But they've really not done that a whole lot in the gaming spec, like the gaming sector. They've done that in almost every other type of business. But they've really allowed Xbox to have highs and lows without ever closing Xbox. And it genuinely surprises me. Because the moment that Zune had a slip up and they were like, mm, by Zune, the moment that they didn't like take over Twitch in one year with whatever the hell their st- mixer, mixer, they were like, yeah, by Mixer. I mean, that's just Microsoft has a huge tendency of doing that. And uh, I remember when Stadia was first announced, my immediate thought was, do you know how often Google has shut down something within about a year because it didn't work the way they wanted. They close fucking everything down if it doesn't work. Yeah, the there's a whole want. website that's devoted to it. Pretty much everything. Oh, it's crazy. It's genuinely crazy. But yeah, Firewalk's an interesting one. I think Sony going after these studios. I think this is kind of going into that thing where Sony's looking at this and knowing that the game's looking good enough. They're seeing enough initial promise and probably positive playtest or something like that that because of the current landscape of M&A, Sony sees the value in going toward buying these developers before they get a name in the market and then other people start getting their hats in the rink. I think Sony's looking going, we have this partnership, we get a close look at what they're doing, we see their progress, we see that there is a trajectory that looks similar to other times we've worked with people and ended up buying them, let's go ahead and jump on the gun. It moves our timeline up considerably from what we like to do, but at least it's still us partnering with new developers and then bringing them in rather than waiting and just buying them after they've made. And I'm not saying that to be a dig at Xbox. It's a different way to go about things. But I do think that they're without that being a dig at Xbox, it is important also for Sony to be able to say, we're like, regardless of how you feel about what Xbox is doing, we can at least always say that we've built relationships and then bought. Whereas that is not as immediately evident with Xbox, whether or not it's true or not. It's not as immediately obvious as it was with PlayStation. But what do you think, Chris? No, I think I think this is just like if you as a baseball fan, right? This reminds me of a team looking at their all-star prospect who they think is going to be a killer and being like, how about, how about we give you, you know, five years, 50 million instead of by the time they're actually looking for a contract, it's 10 years and 250. You know, I think it's as simple as like M and a is driving up prices. It's all doing all of this stuff, but then there's just a matter of, let's just have them early. 
we can, you know, with a new studio, there's a lot less risk of, like, let's say Firewalk comes out, games a, games a two, two out of ten. You're like, this is embarrassing. It's not like you're shutting down Respawn. You're shutting down Firewalk, so you can get out of that pretty easily. Um, not that I want to see that happen, but sure. this isn't this isn't like you're, you know, like it's probably hard for EA to shut down Bioware because it's Bioware. You don't have that with here, so you either invested a small amount of money or a smaller amount of money into a studio that's going to become your next Naughty Dog or your next Treyarch, or you paid cheaply for a studio with talent who is now, you can shut down down the line if you need to. I think it's just yeah, prudent. I just, clearly with how quickly they're moving, it definitely shows that there's pressure on all people in the gaming industry to not lose opportunity. I think that just becomes very obvious very quickly. Yeah. You know, I think that they could have waited a while to do things like Housemark and uh, Bluepoint because they had such strong, almost exclusive relationships with already that they can be like, "Listen, just don't worry about anybody else coming in. We've, you know, we're, we you have a steady stream of sim- of work with us." And then they were able to be like, "All right, now let's come into come into our fold." Um, and it's my only curiosity is whether or not this forced speed up of scale does lead to a lot of. I won't say regretted purchases because like you said, you're not losing so much, but I do wonder if it leads to a lot of studios being bought, their games underperforming and being subsequently closed, like you said. And if that's happening in a large enough amount to be like, oh, this is a little surprising. (laughs) Yeah. But you 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 wonder because like, right, if you shut down Haven, for some reason, Haven's, Haven's game doesn't blow up. From what they're talking about, it sounds like the worst case, and you've kind of said this before, the worst case scenario is you get whatever tech it is that Haven pioneered or set up that, so that you can continue to use that elsewhere, even if Haven's not the one doing it anymore. Right. It's like exactly. there's value outside of strictly the developers. You you get some kind of long-term product out of it. Right. And even here, like Firewalk was owned by another publisher. They're owned by, sure. um, what was it called? Sorry, oh, they were yeah. owned by probably monsters, right? So, yeah. What if it was just worth buying them so that when the game does come out, they don't owe them any money? You know, that's certainly possible too. So, lots of factors go into it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, it's just in a time where, and we talked about this earlier. So, this is now, now's a good time. In a time where it's seeming ever likely, and from everything we're seeing, that Activision Blizzard is about to close, uh, and, and, you know, Microsoft's going to get that, and we're finally going to be free of that looming over the news sphere. It is interesting that while Microsoft's buying arguably one of the biggest developers you can buy, Sony's developing, buying developers that no one actually knows. Like, you know, people within the developing studio but you don't know the studio as a unit that puts out a project so it's an interesting thing and now's a good time to kind of quickly comment on what we were saying before we started recording chris where like you know we've been wanting to avoid the activision blizzard thing as much as we can and even talking about it right now is not talking about anything that's coming or any thoughts on there more so we were wanting to kind of take the opportunity to go you know before we started recording, I looked and thought, man, the news still really doesn't feel like it has a lot of oomph to it. And as we started talking, it kind of struck me that 
that may just simply be because Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard has been in the news for so long and it's had twists and turns for so long and it's had comments and theories and hit paperwork that people are looking and saying that Sony's putting guns to Square Enix's head and making them sign <laughs> contracts. You know, everything that can come out from under the sun. The point being is that I think the scale and size of that looming over the industry for so long has had this effect where every other piece of news just feels quaint, even if it might have actually seemed bigger, separate from the Activision Blizzard hovering over everything. So it's been really interesting seeing the impact that's had on games marketing, at least at the level that hyper fans like us for gaming interact with it. Mm-hmm. So can I give my biggest hot take about the Activision Blizzard thing? It, if you want. That, has, <laughs> it, that is tangential, because I don't want to talk about Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard is a Microsoft company. The games are still coming to PlayStation. It's fine. Um, my theory at this point is that Sony already owns Square Enix. <laughs> I think you've said this before. Yeah. I and think, you think that they're just keeping it... But you know, it's this gets really weird because that Jess Corden thing where he was saying that something is, uh, you know, fundamentally wrong between Square Enix and Microsoft, um, and that it's seemingly not because of anything Sony has done. And you start to think, well, okay, is there any real truth to that? And then this past week, he brought up something about how. Um, Hi-Fi Rush, under you know, from what he's hearing, underperformed commercially and from what it needed to, like sales-wise and everything. And then Aaron Greenberg from Xbox goes, "No, that game hit; it surpassed every metric we we had for it." And it starts yeah. to introduce, like, so was there any truth to what Jess said, or is this a continuing problem of where Microsoft's metrics for success are so off of the traditional metrics of success? That Jess Corden's statement is absolutely true. The game didn't sell enough for what would be expected a success in traditional gaming. But for Microsoft, where they're looking at Game Pass subs and engagement with the game and players who tried it and blah, 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 it is a success. And that's going to be a really weird thing to get used to is different metrics of success depending on which manufacturer you're talking about. Because Nintendo and PlayStation stay the course of traditional you know views of success or at least right now it's seeming that that is the case for the most part where the next piece of news kind of does show that my, Sony's pushing a little more towards it um I think but yeah I mean what do you what do you think of that well <clears throat> I mean I think it's pretty clear that I, it, even if Sony doesn't own them Square Enix clearly does not want to work with Microsoft I don't know what that is Obviously, I don't know what that is, but it just, it's just obvious that even throwing the Final Fantasy ports on Xbox is something they're not doing. But my the biggest thing in terms of evidence in my mind that Sony already has at least a foot and like nine toes in the door is just that all the Final Fantasy games that were out, let me say like what? five two years ago all got put on game pass yep 
and then taken off. I don't actually, I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure if they're still on there. So clearly something happened between Microsoft and X and so Square Enix to make that relationship completely sour to the point where they're not even porting games there. Yeah, because Octopath 1 hit Game Pass. Yeah, Octopath 1. And it was what, Final Fantasy... 4. No, Final Fantasy 7 Original. 8, 9, 8, 9 10, 10, 10, 11, 10, 11 2, or 12. 12 and 13, then, 13, course, 13, 13, 2, they were trilogy. all there. Yep. So, and they got Xbox One X and you know, or whatever, Xbox Series X enhancements. Yeah, so clearly... You have to think either Phil Spencer slept with somebody's wife, Sony owns them, or the most logical of all of them, those games ain't selling. And the Game Pass money was not worth putting it out there. And all they got to do is walk up to Sony and be like, we'll, we'll, we'll take some money for exclusives, even if you're not actually going to, you were never going to release it there anyway. But hey, why don't you subsidize our costs? And then why don't you subsidize our costs? It just becomes, why don't we just work together? Why don't you take all the costs? Because <laughs> really, like, what, what a, are they losing? It's a curious question. They're not, they don't care about Nintendo, right? Let them have their triangle strategies. But then, but the Xbox is the true competition. Everything with the Activision deal is proving out that. Xbox and PlayStation are, don't feel that Nintendo's competition. So why would Sony stop letting Nintendo games come out? Um, so I mean that's I fair. The, I mean there is the the thing of where you look and people say, well, it has to be that Sony has if your game is on ours, saying you can't work with Microsoft at all, and that means it would have to be a game by game basis because Diofield Chronicle did come out on Xbox. Yeah. You know, it's it? like we have a recent, you have a relatively, I'm 90% sure that it did. Um, I remember it being in the trailer. Um, yes, for it came out in September 2022 for PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, S, PS4, Windows, yep. um, and even Switch. So point being is that we're talking six months ago, seven months ago, whatever it be. And... Seven months ago, now not a huge game, right? Not some big juggernaut, but a game nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So, what could have happened in six months? And that's where I can kind of see where people are bringing up all these conspiracy theories, or saying that Sony, and some of these people are saying that the Sony uh, forcing Square to not be able to work with Xbox is proving out in some kind of paperwork from the Activision Blizzard. I, I don't know, but yeah, that'd be interesting to see. But I don't know. The, the real question is, unless it's the answer we just gave, is how do you make a move like that in silence? How do you make a move of owning Square without anyone knowing? The answer could well be that everybody's so caught up in the Activision Blizzard, but I think wouldn't the same thing have to happen? Or would it be that since a Japanese... Well, see, I don't know if Sony even considers themselves a Japanese company anymore. Their headquarters is in America. <laughs> well, I guess... The thing, the answer to your question would be they don't own Square Enix, but they own Square Enix. <laughs> you know what I mean? We'll, we'll make it official, you know, once this other thing's done. We're in the middle of well, some stuff right now. Well, but think it's about like it, the right? guy, It's like the guy who's getting divorced and he's like, mm -hmm. I, I can't say that I'm dating you until the divorce is official. Yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say, right? Like, I'm buying my dad's iPad, I haven't given him the money yet. 
but it's my iPad. You know what I mean? It's that same co- that same concept. <laughs> Fair enough, right? But in terms of what you were talking about with the, uh, um, Jesus, what am I trying to say? I'm so sorry. I lost it. Let's yeah, see. I'm one, not sure. Let's cut that shit out of the podcast. One forty-seven. <laughs> But in regards to what I was trying to say to what? I mean, around you were talking whether about, or not it could happen in, no. in secrecy. Holy or, shit. It's like, have you ever lost a sentence? And it, 100%. But like it hurts. Like I can feel it in my brain. Like the words, I can feel them trying to escape, but I can't figure it out. Yes. Yes. I do know what you mean. Holy shit. Okay. Fuck Is it. it. Is it about the forced exclusivity from Sony? Yes. Thank you. Um, no, I was reading that. That's not like them going to Sony and or Square Enix and putting a gun to their head. It's just that they don't bar, into when they're making exclusive deals, they don't bar them from putting Final Fantasy 16 on Switch. Because that would be stupid. It can't run on Switch. But they do say, you can put it anywhere else, but you can't put it there. But I think people are extrapolating that out to mean... We're paying for Final Fantasy 16, so you can't put anything on Xbox. And I don't think that's true. I think it's just there's a clear value judgment from Square, and it's not worth the time to make the Xbox games. And that proves out. Just look at Minecraft Legends. You look at the sales here, right? 76% on Switch, 19% on PlayStation, 5% on Xbox. They're not even buying Xbox games on Xbox. So <laughs> I'm not surprised that a console that has no legs in Japan, nothing going for them in that market, isn't getting Japan, Japan, Japanese games. I'm, it just doesn't surprise me. You can't even it, sell. Yeah, I think the I think the reason people are so surprised about it is because Xbox has been actively trying, like you know, going after Sega and saying, "Hey, we're going to get Persona on Xbox." Uh, I mean, I get it. Like it seems like they're trying, so why would Square be the the holdup? But just because you're trying doesn't mean it's working. I guess is the other thing. And maybe maybe Microsoft and Square just got tired of trying to throw enough money to make each one look like to to make each of these moves worth it. That it just somehow soured the relationship. But I'm 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 curious. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that I want any other publisher to really be snapped up. It's hard. It's a hard thing to feel right now. Like you know, I. I if Sony announced tomorrow they're buying Take Two, I wouldn't just be over the moon. I would be like, "What does this mean for gaming as a whole? Like, what does this consolidation mean for more varied and interesting expression within gaming and different marketing tactics?" And because, like, you know, you look at Nintendo; they're so driven by nostalgia, and they make sure that they continue to make new entries in thirty-year-old franchises. Where Sony will let a series run for like eight to ten years, and then normally you're like, "Yeah, you're never going to hear from this again." It's just, but then Take Two kind of does a mixture of the two. It's it's very different, and I all that's genuinely my concern most of the time. Is well, what happens when? companies end up in other companies that have different mindsets and different ideologies and do they just buy them to let them operate the way that they did just so that they own it and have that piece of the pie for when exclusivity eventually becomes less of an important or not exclusivity necessarily but exclusivity to drive hardware sales becomes less important it's just weird to think of 
Like, what's the impact on the overall gaming sector as all these things change? And a lot of that's coming off the heels of Xbox pushing so much for streaming and non-device specific gaming within their own sectors. I just think my theory that backwards compatibility killed the Xbox brand is proving out more and more as the time goes by. You start it when you're behind. Sony has to follow suit. Library. I think it very it kills. Man. man, yeah, maybe I get what you mean. Yeah, you're saying specifically in regards to the the more the ecosystems become entrenched, at introducing backwards compatibility and forcing your opponent to essentially well, do the same thing drives more reason for people to stay with the opponent that was already vastly yeah, ahead of you. Because every, I get it. Every console generation was a fresh start, right? You bought a PS3. For the at least for the first year or after the first year, your sale your games could not be played on that PS3, right? But now, what game could Microsoft possibly put out that would make me abandon my library? Nothing. There is nothing because I can tell you right now, Fallout's my favorite game series. I'm not getting rid of my PS5 to go play Fallout. Not that I would have to, but even no, me as yes, a kid, you wouldn't. The idea would be that. that you would just buy the Xbox as a supplemental console. But then the question becomes, and this is true of both sides, right? So PlayStation doesn't just want people coming over to only buy the exclusives. And Microsoft doesn't only want people coming over to only play the exclusives. The real money for PlayStation, for sure, is in getting them to come over and play as many games as possible on PlayStation so they can make that money from there. Microsoft being driven towards Game Pass does have this introducing interesting thing where it's like it introduces the ability for maybe Microsoft to not care if you're only coming over and playing the exclusive so long as you're paying for Game Pass a year at a time. But I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like at some point in time, the value of of getting a consumer from the other side has to come from what is the value you want from them. Once you get them to buy in for PlayStation, it's Get them to buy into the hardware so that you can push them to buy into your store. For Xbox, it's you don't even have it doesn't even have to be hardware. It can be get them to pay for your subscription service. End of story. Yeah. But that's I don't know. We're still looking at whether or not Game Pass will actually ever equate to an actual profitable, large scale profitable. Um, endeavor, which it, I think it will, because you know there was doom talk about Netflix forever, where Netflix will never draw a profit, and Netflix draws plenty of profit. They just also spend a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated to see. I'm just ready for this goddamn story to be over. Stop talking. I don't want to hear about it. Got two pieces of news, and neither of them have anything to do with Activision. Oh, Blizzard. thank Christ! So. <laughs> uh, May features another debut being added directly to PS Plus on release. That game being Enhances Humanity. The game releases on May 16th and will be added to the PS Plus May offerings. It's a puzzle game where you take control of a Shiba Inu who is commanding massive marching crowds to jump, turn, push, float, shoot, and climb their way to salvation. Uh, so that's just another cool thing. We're seeing these happen more and more frequently with Meet Your Maker and Chia and uh, Stray. It looks like Sony's really hitting a 
stride with this type of game at this level in a pretty consistent manner. So don't have much more to say about that. Chris, any thoughts? I mean, the game looks interesting. It looks like so a game. it's free to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. It looks like a game. I'll maybe play it. Depends how the plot All right, goes. here we are. The last piece of news we have. Jeff Grubb, who's oh, been yeah. talking about a PlayStation showcase for about 84 years now, is back again to talk <laughs> about a showcase. He says that a PlayStation showcase should be happening in May. He says it's happening before Summer Game Fest, and his safest prediction is the end of May. <clears throat> so here's my genuine curiosity here. Why do you think that there's a push? Because Summer Games Fest is still first, second week of June, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. E3 slot. Why do you think saying this whole thing pulls out is true? Why do you think Sony cares about being ahead of Summer Game Fest rather than being part of it? Or you know what I mean? Part of the same time frame. Um, well, I mean, it's twofold. You go before because you're you don't want people to you don't want anyone else to share the spotlight that's what i was trying to get out you don't want anyone mm-hmm. to share the spotlight with what you're doing you also go out before maybe because you're so confident in what you're about to show that even if you're not at summer games fest you're at summer games fest mm. there's or also might be double dipping right that's what i was about to say they they like jeff so Maybe we see a Spider-Man CGI trailer at the showcase, and then at Summer Games Fest, there's a 10-minute gameplay trailer. That wouldn't surprise me either. Firewalk's yeah. new game has a gameplay. You know, there's because uh, SGF is is it fan or it's no fans? I think it's no fans. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, I think it's a non. It's a completely streamed event. Breaking away from kind of what E3 was trying to push towards. So. Yeah. So then there you go. It would make a ton of sense. I mean, it would make more sense if it was a fan event to double dip with like, hey, we're showing Firewalks game and it's multiplayer and we're going to have 32 screens set up and you can play it. But yeah, no, I could see that. I do think the double dip thing is a very high potential. And I do, part of me thinks it's that. Oh, basically set the pace for Summer Games Fest with your own thing and then follow it up by being like, we're also going to double dip some in here, either with some of the third party deals we have where we'll announce it at our showcase and get the big haha, but then you'll get to see it kind of more in motion during Summer Games Fest where Konami shows like, hey, we're going to have a Metagross Solid 3 remake. And I'm not actually saying this is just for example. And they announce it there and show a CGI trailer, much like you said, Chris. And then during Summer Game Fest, Konami gets to be like, here is gameplay from the Metal Gear Solid 3 remake. And then Sony is, in essence, at both events without having to be at both events. And I say that because that's what Sony used to do in E3 in general, right? You'd you'd have... They would get Ubisoft to announce something, and then Ubisoft would be like, we're going to show more of the game that we announced during PlayStation's E3. Whether or not it's exclusive doesn't really matter. It's about setting a tone to the feel like this game I'm tying to PlayStation. Uh, And I think PlayStation's really excelled at that lately. Getting to a point where you feel like a game or series is so in line with PlayStation that you see it, and even if it is multi-platform, your brain just sheds the rest of that off and you go, this is a PlayStation game. There's a lot of value in that type of marketing. There is. I would 100% agree. 
Nintendo uh, gut- does that. <laughs> let me let me ask you a quick gut check, Brett. What's the what's the biggest game that's going to be announced at this showcase? Is it Ghost Two Factions? Wolverine coming out the same day as Spider Man? I Judas is a PS Five bi- exclusive. Biggest biggest is really hard to kind of say because I feel like the biggest would inherently be something we've not known of before. See, I guess I phrase it not that be way true. because I I have my pick and I know it would be the biggest announcement. So. Well, like, okay, think about right now. I can see an argument for The Last of Us because everybody's still pretty high off of The Last of Us and coming in and being like, hey, this show that you loved with these characters that you loved, take a look at our first ever heavily game, heavily story-based multiplayer game set in The Last of Us universe with factions. Bam. That's a pretty big thing as long as you actually show what the game is going to be and you can show it in a way that impresses. But at the same time... I feel like the thing that tends to be the biggest most of the time is the thing that is new and slightly ethereal, like ethereal. Like it doesn't actually exist, but the promise of its existence, like it it does, but it's not ready to be shown fully and it's going to be out. It's going to be a little like the fact that we're still talking about Wolverine because it's been two years or a year and a half since we saw a simple trailer Uh shows that that type of marketing really works. Yeah. So maybe the biggest game is something we don't know about. Maybe it is Ghost 2. Maybe it's a new IP. Maybe it's Ben's next game. I doubt it, but maybe it is. Days Gone 2 would be the biggest thing shown. I agree. (laughs) Uh, uh, The answer that I came up with, which I guess is why I phrased it that way, is uh, GTA 6. Clearly, I think it'll be I could see that. I could see that. And I do. Clearly, GTA 6 is going to have PlayStation marketing. Yeah, I was going to say like that. Grand Theft Auto Five enhanced piece of dog shit is uh, very clearly a harbinger of things to come. So <laughs> the things donk. God, yeah, we're now announcing the PS Five with a PS Three game. Enjoy. That is you insane, suck. but also goes to show just how massive that game is. Oh, uh, yeah, huge. Depressing, but huge. Depressing. I agree. Give me but that as big long booty as people Latina are enjoying playing, I guess it doesn't showcase. really matter. <laughs> big booty Latina representation. My people are in the game. I love it. <laughs> I've got a big booty too. I feel so seen. <laughs> I I do. This thing be thanging on the PS5, dog. <laughs> 60 <coughs> FPS thanging. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that leads us to the end of the show where we have questions that we did not work in through the main part of the episode, as well as, of course, the penultimate part of the episode, Velvet's Corner. So the first question comes from B Raj88. He is not done. He's still here. He has a new question for us this week. And that question is more of a statement, but I'll turn it into a question. Why does fire always look bad in video games? Uh I I don't know. It does I have a hot take. Yeah. Fire looks bad in movies still pretty often. Let's go throw that out there. But okay, let's ask. I've seen a lot of movies lately where I'm like, bro, fire exists in real life. Just film the fucking fire. Let's just What are you doing? Let's ask a, a question that nobody wants to address. Does fire just look like shit? Mm, I think that might be at the core of it. 
Yeah. Clearly not, though, right? Because people get like transfixed in fire in real life. Like, there's a reason pyromaniacs exist. Fire is kind of fucking cool. Burn, but that doesn't mean it looks good. Of course. Okay, but let's take a second here. Do you do you get as much enjoyment from watching something burn in a video game as you do in real life? No, but. Okay, Let's go. I, we could go back to GTA here. But then your um, question becomes: Why is it because that it looks worse? Is it because it's you know that you're not actually destroying something real? Like, what is the act that makes burning something so satisfying? Is I it because you know you're burning something that is, in essence, limited because it's in the real world, whereas in a vid- in a virtual world? You can just set a car on fire multiple times and it's going to keep endlessly spawning another car for you because it's a video game. First off, that sentence felt very psychopathic. Second of all... <laughs> I mean, I get where you're coming from, but I'm also saying that... the Why do you think... <laughs> I get where you're coming from. The argument being that like you could kill somebody in real life and it's going to, yeah, I get it. I get it. But that is also, that's really what I mean is all humans are somewhat psychopathic. If we're being honest, all humans have tendencies that are fucked up. Yeah. Being able to find ways to project them into other things where you can do non harm to other people, but still get out some of these weird, you know, that people talk about like intrusive thoughts. Like you just have weird thoughts. You're like, sure, yeah. It's the nature of our brains being hyperactive, even if you don't have ADHD, like I apparently do. My my point was just that what you said sounded like (laughs) if you were watching a Jim Can't Swim video, like the criminal says that when they're still not, they know he killed the person, but they don't have the evidence, and they're like, "Oh, you really love GTA? Do you ever kill people in there?" And he just goes. Yeah, but it, it doesn't feel real. <laughs> and then they know they got the guy. That's how that came off. Um, I don't know. My point is glad my, to hear it. <laughs> my question, my question with what you were saying was more like, I don't know. I guess I don't have a really good answer. All I know is that that's the case for everything. Like the titties in the strip clubs in GTA Five look great. Not the same as going to a real strip club. So. <laughs> So your answer is that it's just too hard for anything that has equal representation in reality. It can never be as good in a video game because of the fact that reality has that extra dimension to it. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to. That's all it is. Like the, the difference is, is no matter how good a pair of boobs in Cyberpunk look, you can't motorboat those boobs. You just no. can't. No, you can't. But I can see a, a pair of tits that are not as perky in real life, and I can motorboat those tits. And those tits are inherently better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm Sam glad we're on the same page as usual. Biggest nub, biggest nub in VR is that there's not a game where you can just walk up to a girl and just her <laughs> yitties because it won't yeah. work. Oh, hold on. It might. VR2 does have vibration in the head. So all you got to do is just have it pulse back and forth <laughs> as you motorboat to the speed that you're doing it and you can roughly simulate now it still won't be the same at the end of the day that your our point stands it'll always be better in real life but we might be we might have the technology to almost pull this off we can fix him we have the technology <laughs> chris is buying a psvr2 now <laughs> he's like all right yeah. i gotta figure this shit out it's already in my cart we're doing it 
There you go. Now all we got to do is just find a developer who's dedicated enough to pull this off. So it's probably who did a Japanese developer. BMX Triple X. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know that guy's not available anymore, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe we can get the people behind some of the uh, the fan servicey games out here. You know, let's just call Give CD me a, Project. Let, let, let's get a let's make us a Sinran Kagura PSVR two booby simulator game. I mean, that honestly seems like a game that would sell gangbusters. <laughs> Chris, do you want to go in with me on finding someone to develop? Yeah, I got. Okay, we bucks. can work this out. Yeah, easy. <laughs> I mean. I'm just saying, we might be able to get rich overnight, you know, if we make this happen just the right way. Let's do it. We could be the next Stardew Valley. <laughs> Star Boob Valley. I was thinking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Star Boob Valet. And it's a dude who the Sinran Kagura girls come up in their cars and they get out and you're a valet driver. You don't have to tip them. You just their have to let them Their keys are between their breasts. <laughs> you can only get it out with your mouth. Oh no! Yeah, she just walks up and she's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah, that's it. You've, we've we figured it out. We've got the basis for our game. Now we've just got to outsource a developer. And then that's the prologue. And then that's why you slap the fuck out of your mother. <laughs> yes, actually, your mother slaps the fuck out of you. Oh, fair. Mm-hmm. Because it was just such bad timing that you had to also grab her keys out of her titties with your mouth. <laughs> this is this is going places I don't know that I want to go. What's what's going on in the velvet corner? You know, I gotta tell you, it, I think it is time for that. So you know what? For anybody who uses this as a clean breaking off point, we'll see you next week uh, for episode three hundred five. Thank you for joining us. Like we said, if you like what we have going on here, join us on social media. Find us at Triangle uh, at Triangle SQRD. Find us in the Facebook group. Join the Discord. But if you want to stick around and get a little sexy with us, right? It's not always sexy. Sometimes it's goofy. But you know, just roll with it, okay? If you want to get a little sexy with us, then now's the time. I've warned you. Sexy time commences in three. Two, one. Velvet Corner. Velvet this week comes at us. And he says, after the premiere of the Triangle Squared movie that we talked about last week, in case you missed it, Brett and Chris get into a drinking contest against Luis Guzman and Nick Cage. Unfortunately, this results in them both ending up in an alcohol-induced coma for 50 years. Obviously, upon waking, the first thing they want to do is check out the latest gaming hardware and games. What is the gaming landscape like at that time? Which companies are still around? Which have closed and which have merged? And what console slash games are the duo playing? Oof. All right, Chris, we've got work. We've got work to do here. This is a lot. I have a proposal. Okay, M. Night propose. Shyamalan is actually God, and he has directed our lives to have a twist. And the twist of it all is that when we wake up in 50 years, Sega has bought Nintendo, Microsoft, and PlayStation and become the king of console gaming once more. Um, Sega? Sega. Okay. Yes. They finally decide that 50 years, right? 
70 years total that it is time to release the Dreamcast 2. This sets the stage for where we are. Now, I would like to think that because we got put in the alcohol-induced comas, we become like folk legends, and people are like rooting for us and going through, and we become like some weird version of Cheech and Chong where people just love us, and we're like, we continue on throughout the decades. And so the news of our awakening is met with such excitement that Sega decides that they would like to make a new Jet Set Future game with us, me and you, as the, the playable characters. Yeah. How, how you feeling so far? How you feeling? I, I got a boner. Okay. So now I, I need you. I, I've set the landscape. Here's the grounds. Sega has become massive. Okay. What else we got going on here? Which companies are still around? Which have closed. Now, we've, we've already got Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo figured out. We know we're mm-hmm. playing on the Dreamcast 2. So let's look at the third-party landscape. What's happened? Who's around? Um, the only third-party left is Grasshopper Manufacturer. <laughs> have they become like a mega publisher, though? No. No. <laughs> Just hanging by a thread? Yeah. Suda's just like, we will not be bought. Um, but exclusively to the Sega Dreamcast 2 is Lollipop Chainsaw Redux. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they replaced the main character with Sonic. <laughs> because of a Sega partnership? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the thing is, is it's he not- still wearing like the, 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 the nice cheerleader get out? It's literally only the head is Sonic. Everything else is the regular character. Nice. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah she was dating Sonic, as you do. Yeah, right. And that's that's her kid. Still voiced by Ben Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> A very aged Ben Schwartz. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think Grasshopper Manufacturer, the only third-party publisher. The thing is, when Sega bought Take-Two... They gave Grasshopper the Grand Theft Auto license. Mm, um, yes. It didn't fit with Sega's, you know, mostly wholesome family values. Okay. So okay. Grasshopper is making Lollipop Chainsaw Redux for Sega, but is also working on Grand Theft Auto 16. Um, yeah. So, it, it, but it's really cool because it's just the guy from Deadly Premonition. Okay. <laughs> but he's in San Andreas now. He's like, oh, okay. Nick. I, I want to throw out that somewhere in this 50-year period, one of, the, one of the things we get told as soon as we come out is that somewhere, somehow, they decided that it would be best if Alpha Protocol <laughs> and Deadly Premonition had a crossover game. Dude, don't fucking tease me. That would be insane. <laughs> Co-developed by Atlas and uh, Obsidian. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm in. 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 All right. So, Chris, we have to take a step back real quick. We're talking about these games, but I think the first thing we've got to figure out: Are we playing on controllers? What's going on? What happened in this landscape? Are controllers still around? Because the first question that comes to mind is: Even in this weird fictional world that we're creating. 
we're still fucking 80 and we've had 50 years of atrophy from being in an alcohol induced coma. How are we playing shit unless we have like a neural link to our head or something? Because we probably won't be able to hold the controller very well. We probably really won't have motor function. If it's like motion controlled, which I doubt it, but you know, let's just go down that rabbit hole. We're 80 year old men. We're not motion controlling shit. Well, unless. Do you think healthcare has caught up to the point where even though we're 80, we're like fucking, they're able to make us look just like we do right now? Yeah, I think that's the thing. We were in a coma and it was like a, like one of those hydrobolic chambers. So we actually mm-hmm. haven't aged. Um, Nick Cage just paid for us to be preserved because he's the one that brought out the absinthe that put us in a coma. The ironic part here is that because I don't drink and have really never drink, I don't even know what you'd have to bring out to put me in a coma. I may be gone after like a, a margarita. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a 50-year coma from a Chili's Marg. <laughs> Damn it. I knew I made it too strong. <laughs> and the cage is just looking at you. He's like, oh, really uh, gave that guy a little, uh, little, a little too much. It's more Jeff Goldboom than Nick Cage, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible Nick Cage. <laughs> yeah. But I, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate I, that. I wanted it to feel realistic. Yes, as you should. Also, you should go watch Renfield. It was a really good time. Oh, I want to see it so bad. I saw the it's, Super it was very Mario fun. movie instead. Ugh. Well, <laughs> pretty soon I'll be able to see movies for free again, so that'll be cool. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you... I know this is a slight tangent from Velvet's Corner, but I think because I'm a gamer, everyone just assumes that I'm excited to go see the Sonic, I mean, the, the um, Super Mario Brothers movie. And I don't at all think it looks bad, but I have to continuously explain to people that I'm not actively rooting against it. I'm not actively rooting for it. I just don't have any interest to see it because I, I'm not a fan of Mario. And it's hard to describe because I'm a fan of animated movies. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'll never watch it, but I'm not like excited to go to the movie theater to watch it. I also don't think Illumination have got the best track record, in my opinion, of animated movies. I'm about half and half on them. So there's there's not a whole lot stacking up to mean that this is something I feel like I have to go see. Jack Black is the most compelling reason. And I don't know if that's enough to go spend money on the movie theaters. You know what I mean? It's like, no hate, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't know how to say it other than that. Yeah, I get that. Um, it's a great movie. Go see it. I think for the most part, though, we're playing I'm glad games. to hear it. I don't yeah. want you to lose money. <laughs> I'll lose it, but I don't want you to waste money. So anyway, yes, so we're playing games. I think we're playing them on In phone. this fictional future, we're 80. We're playing on phone. Yeah. The Sega phone, the Dreamcast 2 phone? Yeah. It's a phone-sized VMU. What if the thing is the Dreamcast 2 comes out, but it's a streaming device called the And it streams to your head Dreamcast. in your dreams. We've got it. That would actually be lit you, as hell. I'm you in. play games by going to sleep, and it casts the games to you in your dreams, and you play them using your head and your dreams, and that's how it works out. There is like no it. body control. Even even eighty year old men who've been in fifty year old comas. <laughs> I have a slight twist that'd be fun on this. As we go into this coma, Neuralink finishes up 
and Elon Musk and Sega decide to team up together. And since we're in a coma, but our brains are showing to be working, they're looking at us and going, these are the perfect test examples. And so for the 50 years that we're under, we're playing the Dreamcast 2 the entire time. I actually came up with a great idea, but I don't even know if I want to say it on the show because I kind of just want to use it in something I write. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle, man. The endless struggle. I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it in the chest. But I do Good like Lord. I do yeah, like the God forbid four hundred people hear your idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. I'll tell you, but when there's a movie with my exact idea, which I'm sure we'll there probably is already. Huh? Yeah, we'll take him to court. <laughs> we'll take I've got him to this court. as proof. No, I think, right, okay. So we wake up from the coma, and the way you play video games is it's VR, except there's a little device in your head. So you're actually in the game you're playing. That's why we can play mm. having been in a coma for so long, because we don't actually have to move. So <laughs> our legs so don't So it's work. the Matrix. Yes, Excuse me. It's the Matrix. Go <laughs> bow the hiccups there. I apologize. I love how you say there's probably already a movie that's done this. And there's a movie that did it 20 years ago. Yeah, but it's not a video game. I mean, it's not not a video game. <laughs> Here's the thing. What, what happens in hours is that at the end, turns out we're still in a coma. And it's the most unsatisfying ending of a game ever, movie ever, book ever. Yeah. I don't mm. know. I'm into it. I like it. I like the mm. Sega Dreamcast 2. I like it as a uh, fully immersive AR, VR kind of thing. I'm here I for mean, this. I mean, no joke. The, Dream, the Dreamcast 2 being Great something name. that actually streams games to your dreams is fucking sick. That, <laughs> that's a great idea. If, so, if Sega ever actually wants to get back into the market, that's a, you have a chance of getting me to try that one out. If, if, if the long-running... You know how everybody was saying that Microsoft was going to buy Sega? If the long-running thing is that Microsoft and Sega partner up to release the Dreamcast 2 and the Dreamcast is the technology that Microsoft partners with to stream Game Pass games to your dreams, fuck it, let's go. I'll try it out. Dude, can you imagine how many more Platinums you could be getting if you could get Platinums while you were sleeping? I guess the real question there is yes, what would impact your quality of sleep? No. <laughs> but wouldn't it? Because your brain would get no rest the entire time that you're supposed to be sleeping. You would just be like, ah, I just broke that last clue bottle. I got to open this safe in slot three. I mean, yeah, but that's <laughs> that's part of innovation, man. We Someone's evolved to figure that out to where we don't need sleep anymore. Yes. Well, we do sleep, but the, our sleep can be just <laughs> controlled by... Our brains never sleeping. Our brains no longer require sleep. Our body just requires sleep. That's what it is. Exactly. It's perfect. We've got it. I'm in for it. This is it. This sounds like a good one. I like this. I like this. What do you think the chances are that we could arrange a drinking contest between me, you, Nick Cage, and Louise Guzman? Never hurts to try. Do you think Nick Cage has a Twitter? No. Let's find out. Louise Guzman might. Nick Cage does Maybe. not. Okay. 
He lives in New Orleans, I think. I could probably go make it. I can go make that happen. I don't I'll see a Luis Guzman one either. Damn. All right. Well, I guess we'll have. You know what? If you listen to this and you have any connections to Nick Cage and or Luis Guzman, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Put in a good word for us. Maybe we can make this Velvet's Corner a reality. <laughs> I don't know if I want to risk it for that. That means I, I missed my. I missed my kid would be fifty eight. That would be you coming out of an alcoholic. <laughs> what What could you even say to your child you've not seen in fifty years of their fifty eight year life? Not much. I would. Yeah. We'd feel like Tom Hanks coming back from Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> Got our bug or our ball. <laughs> In our comas when they're casting the dreams to us. It's just us on islands. Wilson! (laughs) And you know, the worst part of it would be that we would be dealing with like early No Man's Sky setup to where we'd be playing the prototypes of the Dreamcast. So even though we can play multiplayer games with me and you both, they're, they're, they're all asymmetric multiplayer. So all I can see is where you've like named something on the island. <laughs> I like it. Dude, I'm in. Let's just make this happen. We'll invest in the streaming tech. It's perfect. I think what we have to do is invest in Sega. <clears throat> um, if we can make that happen, Chris, Brett, I've got it. We create a new Patreon tier where listeners give us $10 a month if they uh-huh. want to, right? So this is for people that are feeling down. And as part of that $10 a month, However, however many people use that tier specifically, we take that money and we buy triangle squared lotteries, lottery tickets. And then if we win the lottery, we have to go and do what we talked. We have to write at least one blank check to someone to get a game made. We have to, you know, we have to make good on all the stuff we've been talking about. Maybe we buy Sega. Maybe we invest in the Dreamcast too. Okay. Do you believe in us, Chris? Do you? Believe- I believe in us. You I think what we should do is like, you know, Shoe on Head, the YouTuber? I don't think I do. No. Shoe on Head. Is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. She's a political streamer. I have no clue who this is, but I mean, I, I see her right now. So, well, it, whatever so, you can give me that. So, this is just I might example, get enough context right? out of this. Her, okay. she has a Patreon, and on her Patreon, she has a tier that says, I will shut up. And so it's $50,000 and someone is p- currently paying $50,000 a month. So she doesn't talk anymore. Now I think we do a tier like that, except it's to help us buy a developer. Oh, if somebody wants this game enough, they'll pay it. You so know. now we've got to figure out what the common game that we feel like we can bring everyone to. And then everyone would have to trust that we'd make good on it, which I, yeah, I will tell you right now, if you gave us some crazy tier that we did and there was like multiple $50,000 investors for us to buy a studio, I would make this happen. I would buy Team Cherry and we would make a Team Cherry new Castlevania game. I would, we'd go to Konami. We'd make this happen. I'm in for it. I like this. I like this a lot. So the moral of the story is uh, subscribe to Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Nartech and give us a little dollar per month uh, so that we can make these crazy wild fantasies of ours come true. Uh, 
But if you don't want to do that, we appreciate those of you who just listen every week. Consider finding someone in your life who you think would like this podcast. Share it with them so that we can get some more people, new, interesting ideas, new, different people coming in, talking, giving us interesting questions. Who knows? Velvet's Corner just came out of a, a series of ridiculous questions, and now it's an oddly fun part of the show to end on. I don't know. It, it somehow makes doing the show easier knowing that we got to end on craziness. Chris, would you agree? <laughs> Look, Chris is dead in his either his mute world. I don't know what's going on with Chris. I seldom oh, do. I said yes, I agree. No. Had well, a you, bout of the coughs this episode, so. Uh, bout of the cough. Been okay. trying to suddenly mute my mic. I've had to I've, fail. I've been really working on all my accents, okay? Don't you hear the improvement <laughs> in mine? You're a wizard, Eri. Man, now you've got me like freaking out of the fact that there might actually be someone paying $50,000 to this girl just to get her to be quiet. That's rough. Expect it makes me really want to reevaluate my life. You know, yeah. why am I working where I'm working? <laughs> Be more annoying, Brett. Clearly, but that seems to come with needing to be overtly political, and I don't have time for that. I just don't. I don't have the energy for that. I'm good. You know, <laughs> how about this, guys? If you guys want to see my boobs, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Only breath. Why don't you nice? Yeah. Head over to OnlyFans.com. <laughs> you know what, guys? This has been episode 200, 200, 304 of Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. Uh, if you've stuck around this long, then thank you. Uh, if you want to be part of the community's take where we ask you guys a question from this episode, either rephrase or something new that come up with again, head over to Twitter at triangle S U R D Facebook, join that group triangle square to PlayStation podcast, or click in. Like we said, jump into the discord, Chris, what do you want that community's take to be? You want to go back and kind of do the DLC question? Through, yeah. Through hit days? me with that DLC question. Mm-hmm. Do you like yeah, to you play some... DLC that requires yeah. you to finish game or any time in game? How'd you like that? Brent yeah, it's Jackson? a good. No, that was yeah, very <laughs> interesting. That was the most British thing I've ever heard. Uh, you should call up Dick Van Dyke. I think that y'all should duke it out. <laughs> Oi, let me get some beans on my toast, mate. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Chris. Yes, your I, accent's impeccable. I mean, just truly impeccable. Oi, bro, uh, thank you. All right, guys. As we <laughs> as we round out, one other reminder uh, that we always love to shout out our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash nartech. Give us a little as a dollar per month. Help support the show. We don't have to dig into our own pockets to be able to make this happen, which is a huge benefit. Something we don't have to stress about in order to make this happen. So without further ado, we always like to end our show by shouting out by name all of you who have decided to donate to the show. And that is starting with none other than Spencer. Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's Ascent Win, AKA Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Sifle Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, 
Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll be back next week. Thanks.